I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom. Tom Dene, aho, <laughs> bionic. Oh, I've created a monster, ladies and gentlemen. It was awesome. Um, it was good. Right before we went on air, I showed uh, I showed Brother Tom here a Bollywood uh, dance number. Uh, the music was awesome and everything, man. So you think we should put that on the end of the yeah, show? Yeah, yeah, totally, man. It was killer. Okay. They They should really go... They should really go look it up on on YouTube. Maybe yeah. we'll put a link in the news okay. section. Okay, okay, we'll but, put a but, we'll put a link on yeah, there. But, but you know, and I don't know. Maybe y'all will know what what Doctor Future and Tom Bionic it was grooved to. It was cool. And just picture all the Futurians at this place. So y'all, mm. we'll let you all take a look at that at a later date. Yeah. We've got things to talk about today. One or two. Any news with you, Brother Tom? Uh, this well, week? you know, just doing doing lots of good things. Um, uh, got word from the rescue mission. Going to go down there and rescue some people. Invocation. Invocation. As a vocation. Not an invocation. Any any invocations, no. No call to worship. (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. You know what? There was a stray. I wonder if any of our Futurians remember this. When I was a little kid, I grew up in a little small Baptist church, Uh and they had a song, and I remember this when I was a kid. The choir would sing when we'd start. Now, this is sort of a country church, sort of country slash redneck type church, Mm -hmm. okay? But there was this really almost spooky sounded song. That the choir would do as a call to worship, and it um, went like it went. It was on the Bible. No, no, it was. No, it was almost like Gregory <laughs> chant. But it went. And I wonder if any of our futures ever heard this song. It goes, "The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent. Let all the earth keep silent before Him. Keep silent." Keep silent before him. That includes you down the row. Isn't that strange? No. It's like derivative of Gregorian chant. It's scriptural, but I know, but for Southern Baptist Church. Well, you know. And I never really thought about it then, but somehow that song came back to my head the other day, so sorry. That all came from invocation. Mm -hmm. Bottom line is, you got a job. Yeah, another job. I need to. It's only part time for right now, though. I need to get like. We need to pray through to full time. Yeah, I need to, or I need to find like deliver some pizzas for the next couple months mm-hmm. or something. We'll just keep praying until you have a world ministry center with a jet. I hope that. not. That's when I know that things are really bad. You can have like that. multiple I don't want offices. A world ministry center. You don't. No. What about lots of money that goes with it? Mm, probably not. Okay. All right. We'll 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 praise for what we can praise. You got to get that out of your mind. We've got earth-shaking news to pass on. Sorry. Um, so, so that it on the news front for you? Anything? Um, I mean, there's always in the ton- heavenlies, principalities, and power well, engagement. Uh, in- interesting. That's an interesting uh, can of worms. Not at this point. Okay. So, no report yet on principality and power engagement. No. Archons, whatever. No. Okay. All right. Um, sort of same thing here. Yeah. Uh, got a mind-blowing topic next week. Not, not well, a month from now. Mm-hmm. Still working through some materials on a guest we have that will... Everybody's going to have to put their thinking caps on because it's making my mind blow up. But we'll have another fascinating topic next week mm-hmm. uh, for our guest next week. But 
sad news for our listeners is that they're stuck with us for this week. Uh, but someone who I want to say thank you to is our good friend uh, Jan in Tennessee, who ordered a two-book set from the front of futurequake.com. Up there on the left-hand side on the front of futurequake.com, you can see a couple things we have uh, for the enrichment of our listeners, and it's a way for you to help support some of mm-hmm. our expenses of doing the show. Uh, it's a two-book set that has Lies the Government Told You by Andrew Napolitano, bundled with the New World Order and Eugenics Wars by Andrew Hoffman, a good friend of our show. Mm-hmm. Uh, has the Christian story behind how the world works and what's going on. Those two books will help you to explain to anybody you know about what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. And Brother Andrew emailed me and said we only have two sets left. Well, I guess it's time to get them. So that's it. Two. Pick them up. And uh, so by the time you hear this, it might be down to one or even a half. So you better hurry up. Uh, but there's two other books there that I have written a chapter on in my verbose approach. Uh, one of them is called uh, How to Overcome the Most Frightening Issues You Will Face a Century. The other one is called Panamonium's Engine about transhumanism. And mm-hmm. I write about Bible prophecy and stuff like that. And so that's it. If you all think of that, get those and um, just check out stuff. Um want to remind you again, on the bottom of the right side of futurequake.com on the front page there the bottom we have a couple um, t-shirts future quake commemorative t-shirt designs uh, and want you all to see if you have any interest in getting them we're trying to figure out if there's enough to place an order for them and also a poster a commemorative future quake poster mm-hmm. and um, I need you all to go there and find out the instructions to say you want either or both t-shirts or the poster um, what sizes What's the maximum that you'd be willing to pay? Do you, would you want a T-shirt, sweatshirt, golf shirt, that kind of thing? And we need to get that fee, uh, feedback. A couple people, and only a couple, have sent from last week. So I'm making a spreadsheet. Yep. And, you know, if you don't tell me, they won't get ordered. And then there'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth. There you have it. So I hate when that happens. So, anyway, that's it for the beratement of Futurian World. It's on to the news. All right, man. You wanna? Mm, do you wanna go? Or should I? I don't care. You oh, go. All right. All right. This is something that, uh, brother Tom, you probably are familiar with, and um, a lot of our listeners are in general. I picked this story because it is a good summary story. And all of our links, by the way, if you normally get the podcast on iTunes, iTunes or yeah, elsewhere, you can go right to the. Go, go to futurequake.com under the past shows tab. Not only are all the shows archived there, even all the way back to the very beginning of Futurequake, but all of the stories that we read uh, for many months so far, we've started putting all the links to the stories. So you can download the story, have it yourself, forward it to friends, maybe get them interested in listening to the show. Mm-hmm. But all of these links will be at futurequake.com. And this one is from The Guardian which is a British newspaper, major newspaper, that has a lot of really good stories. Have you noticed that, Tom? Yeah. A lot of quotable stuff. Yeah, it seems like about once a week a Guardian story makes its way into our newscast. Something meaningful, you know. Uh, Well, this story uh, sort of summarizes some issues going on. It says, Terror plots, paid informants, the tactics of FBI entrapment questioned. Oh, gosh, that's a good one. Uh, It says, Critics say the Bureau is, is running a sting operation across America targeting vulnerable people by luring them into fake terror plots. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Futurians, this is what many of your church friends will refuse to believe. 
And that's why you need to give people copies and things like this in their email basket or print them out because mm -hmm. Christians just believe what their government tells them. That we've got these guys with black hats out there and they all want to kill us because they hate our freedom. Mm -hmm. And that's why we have to take all our freedoms away here so we can beat them. Mm -hmm. uh, so they can't take our freedom so we can take our if own. We, yeah, if we take our own freedoms. Yeah, we'll show them. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, it begins with a little uh, anecdote here. It says, Dave, David Williams did not have an easy life. Uh, he moved to Newburgh, a gritty, impoverished town on the banks of the Hudson, an hour or so north of New York, at, at just 10 years old. For a young black American boy with a father in jail, trouble was everywhere. Williams also made bad choices. He ended up going to jail for dealing drugs. When he came out in 2007, he tried to go straight, but money was tight, and his brother, Lord, needed cash for a liver transplant. Life is hard in Newburgh if you're poor, have a drug wrap, and need cash quickly. So he needed cash for a brother with a needed liver transplant. Mm -hmm. His aunt, Alicia McWilliams, was honest about the tough streets her nephew was dealing with. Newburgh is a hard place, she said. So it was perhaps no surprise that in May 2009, David Williams was arrested again and hit with a 25-year jail sentence. But it was not for drug offenses or any other common crime. Instead, Williams and three other struggling local men beset by drug, criminal, and mental health issues were convicted of an Islamic terrorist plot to blow up Jewish synagogues and shoot down military jets with missiles. Well, it sure sounds like a guy like this fits the demo for wanting yeah. to do missile shoot-downs of jets, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Sounds like that's on their list. It says, even more shocking was that the organization, money, weapons, and motivation for this plot did not come from real Islamic terrorists. It came from the FBI. And an informant paid to pose as a terrorist mastermind paying big bucks for help in carrying out the attack. For McWilliams, her own government had actually cajoled and paid her beloved nephew into being a terrorist, created a fake plot, and then jailed him for it. I feel like I'm in the twilight zone, she told the Guardian. Lawyers for the so-called Newberg Four have now launched an appeal that will be held early next year. Advocates hope the case offers the next chance, the best chance of exposing the issue of FBI entrapment in terror cases. We have as close to a legal entrapment case as I've ever seen, says Suzanne Brody, who represents another defendant. Some experts agree. The target, the motive, the ideology, and the plot were all led by the FBI, said Karen Greenberg, a law professor at Fordham University in New York, who specializes in studying the new FBI tactics. By the way, she's somebody I looked up. She's got a lot of great books at Amazon.com. Who's that? She's a, her name's Karen Greenberg. It's mm -hmm. Green, B-E-R-G. Okay. Uh, but the issue is one that stretches far beyond Newburgh. Critics say the FBI is running a sting operation across America, targeting, to a large extent, the Muslim community by luring people into fake terror plots. FBI bureaus send informants to trawl through Muslim communities, hang out in mosques and community centers, and talk of radical Islam in order to identify possible targets sympathetic to such ideals. Or they will respond to the most bizarre of tip-offs, including, in one case, a man who claimed to have seen terror chief Ayman el-Zarahiri living in Northern California in the late 1990s. That tipster was quickly hired as a well-paid informant. If suitable suspects are identified, FBI agents then run a sting, often creating a fake terror plot in which it helps supply weapons and targets. Then dramatic arrests are made, press conferences held, and lethal convictions secured. What is not clear is if any real actual terrorists are involved. 
Another entrapment case is, is on the radar, too. The Fort Dix Five, accused of plotting to attack a New Jersey Army base, have also appealed against their convictions. That case, too, involved dubious use of paid informants, an apparent overreach of evidence, and a plot that seems suggested by the government. Harim Duka, whose three brothers were jailed for life for their part in the scheme, insists they did not know that they were part of a terror plot and were just buying guns for shooting holidays in a deal arranged by a friend. The friend was an informant who had persuaded another man of a desire to attack Fort Dix. Okay, persuaded another man about it. Duca mm-hmm. is convinced his brother's appeal has a good chance. But things may not be that easy. At issue is the word entrapment, which has two definitions. There is the common usage, where a citizen might see the FBI operations as deliberate traps, manipulating unwary people who otherwise were unlikely to become terrorists. Then there's the legal definition of entrapment, where the prosecution merely has to show a subject was predisposed to carry out the actions they were later accused of. Theoretically, a simple expression, like support for jihad, might suffice. And in post now one America, neither judges nor juries tend to be nuanced in terror trials. Legally, you have to use the word entrapment very carefully. It is a very strict legal term, said Greenberg. But in its commonly understood usage, FBI entrapment is a widespread tactic. Within days of the 911 terror attacks, FBI Director Robert Mueller issued a memo on a new policy of forward-leaning preventative prosecutions. Okay, let me say that again. Mm-hmm. Forward-leaning preventative prosecutions. Preventative prosecutions. It's just like our preventative yes. wars, you know, where we people haven't attacked us or, or tried to attack us, but... There's a possibility, you know, sometime down the road they might, so we just, that's our right we have to go invade them because Mm -hmm. it's a possibility it could happen. And so now we're being prosecuted for pre-crimes, crimes crimes that have not happened, basically. It's like Minority Report. Yeah, yeah. It's forward-leaning, therefore. Doesn't want to wait till somebody has done something wrong. You can do it even before because you you, you can anticipate. Mm -hmm. Central to that is a growing informant network. The FBI is not choosy about the people it uses. Some have criminal records, including attempted murder or drug dealing or fraud. They are often paid six-figure sums, which critics say creates a motivation to entrap targets. Well, sure, if they're going to get paid that big for it. Mm -hmm. Some are motivated by the promise of debts forgiven or immigration violations wiped clean. There has also been a relaxing of rules on what criteria the FBI needs to launch an investigation. Often they just seem to be fishing expeditions. In the Newberg case, the men involved met FBI informant Shahid Hussein, simply because he happened to infiltrate their mosque. In Southern California, FBI informant Craig Montiel trawled mosque posing as a Muslim and, and tried to act as a magnet for potential radicals. Montiel, who bugged scores of people, is a convicted felon with serious drug charges to his name. His operation turned up nothing, but Montiel's professed terrorist sympathy so unnerved his Muslim targets, okay, so he, he's trying to pump them and get them excited about terrorism to these people. He says it so unnerved them that they got a restraining order against him and alerted the FBI. I heard about that. Not yeah. realizing Montiel was actually working on the Bureau's behalf. Mm-hmm. So here you have people in a mosque worried that this, some terrorist has come into their mosque. And they're trying to tell the FBI, hey, we've got a guy here. He looks like he's up to no good when they don't realize he's an FBI asset already. Um. Yeah, that's not the first time that's happened, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, we've heard about it over the years several times. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Muslim civil rights group have warned of a feeling of being hounded and threatened by the FBI, triggering a natural fear of the authorities among people that should be a vital defense against real terror attacks. But FBI tactics could now be putting off many people from reporting tip-offs to suspicious individuals. It says they're making Moss suspicious of anybody. They're putting fear into these communities, said Greenberg. Civil liberties group are also concerned, saying some FBI tactics is using terrorism to justify more power. We are seeing an expansion of these tools. It is a terrible prospect, said Mike German, an expert on American Civil Liberties Union and a former FBI agent who has worked in counterterrorism. German said suspects convicted of plotting terror attacks in some recent FBI cases bore little resemblance to the profile of most terrorist cells. Most of these suspect terrorists had no access to weapons unless the government provided them. I would say that showed that they were not the biggest threat to the U.S., German said. Most terrorists have links to foreign terrorist groups and have trained in terrorist training camps. Perhaps FBI resources should be spent fighting those guys. Also, some of the most serious terrorist attacks carried out in the U.S. since now on one have revolved around lone wolf actions, not the sort of conspiracy plots the FBI has been striving to to com- combat. Uh, and they mentioned the Times Square bomber uh, who came to light only after his car bomb failed to go off properly. Well, it turned out the people who gave him the stuff just gave him the instructions for a smoke bomb. Yeah. Uh, to do this. Yeah, we could spend. Maybe we should do that some show. Just yeah. spend the whole show like. I'm re- not even sure where to get all of it, but it's an important topic. Yeah, no, there's there's a lot of it out there, man. It's right. just ridiculous. Uh, yet, as advocates for those caught up in entrapment cases discover, there is little public or judicial sympathy for them. Even in cases where judges have admitted FBI tactics have raised serious questions, there's been no hesitation in returning guilty verdicts, handing down lengthy sentences and dismissing appeals. Mm -hmm. The Liberty City 7 are a case in point. The 2006 case involved an informant, Ellie Assad, with a dubious past. He was once arrested but not charged for beating his pregnant wife. Assad was let loose with another informant on a group of men in Liberty City, a poor, predominantly black suburb of Miami. The targets were followers of a cult-like group called the Seas of David, led by former guardian angel Narcille Batiste. Now, the group was perhaps not even Muslim, as its religious practices involved Bible study and wearing the Star of David. Yet Assad posed as an Al-Qaeda operative and got members of the group to swear allegiance. Transcripts of the oath-taking ceremony are almost farcical. Baptiste repeated, this is just a cult group already, okay? Mm-hmm. Baptiste repeatedly queries the idea and appears bullied into it. In effect, defense lawyers argued, the men were confused, impoverished members of an obscure cult. Yet targets the group supposedly entertained attacking, including the Sears Tower in Chicago, Hollywood Movie Studios, and the Empire State Building. Even zealous prosecutors painting a picture of dedicated Islamic terrorists admitted any potential plots were aspirational given the group had no means to carry them out. Nonetheless, they were charged with seeking to wage war against America, plotting to destroy buildings and supporting terrorism, So after they were talked into doing these things. Mm-hmm. Five of them got long jail sentences. Assad, who was recently arrested, this is the ringleader of the FBI CNN, Assad, who was recently arrested in Texas for attempting to run over a policeman, was paid $85,000 for his work. So, so in making and inventing terrorists, yeah, our government... made some cash. 
Well, you know why? And you know why? Because the more stuff like this they find, the more the public supports more money being put into anti-terrorism and going in the hands of a few companies Mm -hmm. running all this. This is a big business operation for them, for the government and all the other people in the periphery. Um, It says, this year the jailed Liberty City men launched an appeal, and last week judgment was handed down. They lost and officially remained Islamic terrorists hell-bent on destroying America. Um, And their Batiste lawyer says, our country is no safer as a result of the prosecution of these seven impoverished young men from Liberty City. This prosecution came at a great financial cost to our government and at a terrible emotional cost to the defendants and families. My sincere belief that our country is less safe as a result of the government's actions in this case. Hmm. Sorry that was was long. It was an interesting article. It was just a good summary of this. This is evil. God does not shine on this. No, he's mad about that. And God's mad because Christians, very few Christians are talking about it. Yeah. People like David Gushy, the professor who was on our show, you Mm -hmm. know, from... You and I, that's about it. Yeah, I mean, that's, (laughs) yeah. You know, and there's just not not many more outside of that. So, listeners, I mean, are we crazy for caring about these people? I'm just crazy, period. Period. Okay. Cuckoo for Cocoa Bus, I would explain. Yeah. Okay. Like those those Bollywood dancers. Head bobbing. I have created a monster here. Well, give me a story. All right. Uh, by the time this gets out, this may be old news, but okay. it's uh, it's from Clark Lytle, Gedaldig, and Cranford uh, for the American Bankers Association. Mm-hmm. And it's from Steve Gedaldig, Steve Clark, Gary Lytle, and Jay Cranford. And it's the subject is proposal, Occupy Wall Street response. Right. This is this is bankers responding to. No, this is from a private sort of a private PR firm on Capitol Hill for the American Bankers Association. It's a pitch being made to them. Um, it, it seems to me. I'll let the listeners decide. But reading okay. it, it seems to me more like part of an ongoing set of communiques. Okay. And uh, where they lay out a strategy. To a PR and, firm to banking. Yeah, about yeah they they occupied. lay out their yeah they lay out their final strategy and okay. sort of informally set a. Set a price, you know. Um, Leading Democratic Party strategists have begun to openly discuss the benefits of embracing the growing and increasingly organized Occupy Wall Street movement to prevent Republican gains in Congress and the White House next year. We have seen this process of adopting extreme positions and movements to increase base voter turnout, including in the 2005-2006 immigration debate. This would mean more than just short-term political discomfort for Wall Street firms. If vilifying the leading companies of this sector is allowed to become an unchallenged centerpiece of a coordinated Democratic campaign, it has the potential to have very long-lasting political policy and financial impacts on the companies in the center of the bullseye. It shouldn't be surprising that the Democratic Party or even President Obama's re-election team would campaign against Wall Street in this cycle. However, The bigger concern should be that Republicans will no longer defend Wall Street companies and might start running against them, too. Hmm. Well-known Wall Street companies stand at the nexus of where Occupy Wall Street protesters and the Tea Party overlap on angered populism. Both the radical left and the radical right are channeling broader frustration about the state of the economy and share a mutual anger over TARP and other perceived bailouts. 
This combination has the potential to be explosive later in the year when media reports cover the next round of bonuses and contrast it with the stories of millions of Americans making do with less this holiday season. Democratic strategists have identified the Occupy Wall Street movement as a way to tap this populist anger. As an example, the L.A. Times reporter reported that Robbie Mook, executive director of the Democratic Congressional Campaign, uh, wrote an email, uh, campaign committee, wrote an email to support saying, uh, protesters are assembling in New York and around the country to let billionaires, big oil, and big bankers know that we're not going to let the richest 1% force draconian economic policies and massive cuts to crucial programs on Main Street Americans. They are certainly in the field right now testing messaging options. This is sort of where it starts getting interesting. Mm -hmm. They are certainly in the field right now testing messaging options and developing the plans to deploy them in ad speeches, social media, and grassroots communications as early as this year, Uh, which is interesting because you can go to YouTube right now and type uh, Obama heckled. Occupy mm-hmm. Wall Street and see some guy. He shows up to like, you're my people. You're and some guy's like, shut up, get down from mm-hmm. the stage. You know, they're totally heckling him. Um, but now, if I understood what you were saying, they were going to test out a message to respond to Occupy, right? Um, yeah, Do the you think idea- it's being tested out right now. I think we've heard it already in the media yeah, somewhere. I, I would, I would venture to say. This Where would is, you suspect? Uh, well, obviously, uh, CNN certainly at the debates. Yeah, you know. Um, the extreme right, uh, the extreme right, right wing folks are, uh, um, they're, you know, some of them have tried the opposite yeah. thing, like, you know, get them to take a shower or whatever. Right, right, the, right. You know, the fact that, the fact that, uh, uh, there's a PR firm, you know, saying all this mm-hmm. stuff shows just how broad of an appeal I've found a lot of times Street. they'll work through a celebrity that's part of something steady institute. Like mm-hmm. a think tank in Washington, yeah, and they'll co-op them to do that kind of stuff to start putting these thoughts out, yeah, yeah, on it's the twenty-four like, oh, hour well, news channel. Yeah, this guy, this, yeah, this Paige Shill is supposed to be yeah. unbiased, and he's an expert, and he, right. he's really not any right. of those things. Right. Yeah. Um. Anyway, they're certainly in the field right now, testing messaging options and developing the plans to deploy them in ad speeches, social media, and grassroots communications as early as this year. The focus of those campaign efforts would be to tar the financial services sector, and in particular, high-profile Wall Street investment house brands as being responsible for the economic problems facing the country and middle-class Americans. As the Democrat half of the well-known battleground survey polling team, Celinda Lake said, um, it has enormous potential. It may be easy to dismiss... Occupy Wall Street as a ragtag group of protesters, but they have demonstrated that they should be treated more like an organized competitor. And remember, this is to the American mm. Bankers Association, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who is very nimble and capable of working the media, coordinating third-party support, and engaging office holders to do their bidding. To counter that, we have to do the same. Putting the cornerstone elements of a plan in place right now will prepare firms to respond quickly and collectively at the earliest and most influential point when embracing Occupy Wall Street goes from concept planning to execution. Um, the cornerstone elements of a plan include survey research and message testing, opposition research, targeting social media, modi- social media monitoring, coalition planning and advertising creative and placement strategy uh, development. 
So now it goes on. That that's there. That's the that's the pitch part, right? And then they go on and sort of talk about it a little bit. It will be critical to begin with national polling that has a focus on key voter groups in a play at the presidential in the presidential campaign. Women, seniors, suburban voters, GOP and Tea Party both nationally and in targeted sales in the, on the front end to inform how the campaign is approached. Our messaging and opponent campaign saliency. Our poll deliverable. Our polling plan would be produce would produce a national survey of a thousand voters to serve as our benchmark and give us a national context for our state by state efforts. We would produce additional statewide surveys in at least eight states that are shaping up to be the most important in the 2012 cycle. The most important states in which we consider t- conducting research, including, uh, and I'll just list them. They have a little bit about each state, but, state, but uh, um, Florida, uh, say it's a swing state. Uh, Pennsylvania, uh, conservative Democrat center running for re-election, but Obama struggles here. Um, uh, Virginia, open Senate seat. Wisconsin, open U.S. Senate seat. Ohio, um, North Carolina, Nevada, um, and New Mexico. <coughs> then it then it talks about opposition research. Occupy Wall Street bears many of the hallmarks of a well-funded effort and media reports have speculated about associations with George Soros and others. It will be vital to understand who is funding it and what their backgrounds and motives are. If we can show that they have the same cynical motivation as a political opponent, it will undermine their credibility in a profound way. So, um, they're, they're not, they're, you know... They think that this is some sort of a opposition thing. This is just an insider memo of the way we're always manipulated in yes. the news, particularly mainstream news. But mm-hmm. the news for the masses that are used, it's all a big game. Yep. Ding. You'll notice the the really fascinating about this. There's, I mean, there's so much to take yeah. from this from this yeah. from this thing. But the really fascinating thing is they're not. When they were talking about, it, they said we better watch out when news about big bonuses hits amidst Americans having to do with less. It doesn't once, uh, you know, they don't say anything about the fact that, yeah. man, it really sucks that these people won't have enough food to eat. Yeah, you know, it's like, well, how do we minimize the damage so we can make more and let our ca- craps game continue mm-hmm. unabated? Um, yeah, it never comes into discussion. <clears throat> well, they're just looking after their uh, their client. Mm-hmm. You know. um, so I'll fast forward just a little bit here. Uh, he they go on to the deliverable, talking about opposition research, and they they specific initial uh, initial opposition research tactics will include comprehensive media analysis of Occu- Occupy Wall Street and their leaders, a record search and obtainable open records request of leaders' histories, including civil and criminal information, litigation history, tax liens, bankruptcies, judgments, and other associations. So they can have stuff to lean on. Mm-hmm. Uh, associated business and record search, including IRS uh, and Federal Election Commission filings, sanctions, regulatory actions, and litigation. Targeted social media monitoring. The transparency of social media platforms offer an excellent opportunity to anticipate future Occupy Wall Street tactics and messaging as well as identify extreme language and ideas that put its most ardent supporters at odds with mainstream America. So they're going with divide and conquer, mm-hmm. right? They've, 
they're not gonna they're they're gonna take they're gonna take the most strident voices and brand the media right brand the occupy people. Right. These platforms may not be a place where engaging Occupy Wall Street supporters directly could be successful, but with sophisticated monitoring and analytical tactics, it could provide an ex- exceptional pol- it could pres- could provide exceptional political intelligence. Uh, we will conduct and report on an audit of most active social media platforms used by Occupy Wall Street with the identification of trends in their engagement. This audit will offer analysis of those trends and identify effective reporting tools to develop actionable intelligence that could be rapidly acted on when a campaign becomes fully operational. <clears throat> so, I mean, essentially what they're talking about is what the government does, is, but sort of one step up almost, you know, find key political people who, who's, uh, or, you know, people in their firm whose job is just mainly to mm-hmm. watch people's Facebook posts all day. Wow. Yeah. That tells you... Well, how important, I mean, that's no surprise to anybody, but how important those kind of social media are, mm-hmm. that they're spending their time just doing that. Yep. <clears throat> um, then they go on to uh, coalition planning. Individual companies under threat by Occupy Wall Street and its adoption by Democrats likely will not be the best spokesman for their own cause. As you were talking about. A big challenge mm-hmm. is to demonstrate that these companies still have political strength and that making them a political target will carry severe political cost. So basically they're saying you got to we got to we got to figure out how to convince these people to, you know, stay hands off before, you know, they the before it even gets out of the package. Mm-hmm. Deliverable. We will produce a report identifying traditional and non-traditional allies, intellectual support, and politically important economic footprints that could ultimately form the basis of a broad coalition. Rather than the narrow D.C. definition of a coalition who can help carry our messages and organize supporters. Um, And then it goes on. uh, Finally, advertising, creative, uh, and placement strategy. While it is not yet clear if, when, where, and to what extent paid advertising may be necessary, the cost and reach make it, makes, it, makes it a potential strategic value for you in a message war against a grassroots movement like Occupy Wall Street. The key is to use the information identified through the, throughout, through the survey research to develop hard-hitting, compelling creative uh, that can move numbers, combat Occupy Wall Street messages and provide cover for political figures who defend the industry. By developing and clearing this creative now, it can be ready for immediate deployment immediately as it becomes necessary. A strong placement early in a transition to adopt the Occupy Wall Street movement will send a powerful political signal about the risks of carrying that through. Deliverable. Three creative concept options based on results of the survey research. This is a lot of detail. As well as uh, as well, a national beltway and state and district-specific placement plan, including all medium, all mediums, TV, print, radio, mail, and online, based on political target, targeting. Finally, pricing. This initial effort to develop the cornerstone elements of a, of a strategic campaign is achievable within 60 days, and would be best provide, and would best provide you with a range of effective response options if the move is. The move to adopt, adopt Occupy Wall Street continues on its current path. The cost of the deliverables identified above is $850,000. So to get ready to implement the strategy mm-hmm. is 850000 There you have it. I assume most of those people on Occupy Wall Street probably don't have that kind of money 
I know there's this one guy who's a sympathetic to him that's got an apartment downtown that he let him sleep in. But aside from that, most of them don't have that kind of money to counteract. I'm thinking. No, uh, I love the guy who I love the guy who was talking about. He said he went to a he went to a trade school and it was something like like auto diesel or something. Yeah. You know, something that you figured you'd find a job, yeah. but. For whatever reason, he couldn't find a job, and at this point, he was so poor, he had to sell his car. Uh, he like had to sell his car to eat, and then the um, and then he got <coughs> excuse me he got the degree and everything, and was having he fi- like found a part time job, but was having m- trouble making ends mm-hmm. meet, and was commuting like two hours on a bus each way. Yeah, and um, uh, they wouldn't he couldn't discharge his loans in bankruptcy, so he, they took all this stuff. Yeah. And we're garnishing his check. Were these school loans? Yeah. Because I've heard you can't get rid of those for anything. School loans for some reason. Yeah. They're the hardest to get rid of. Yeah, you can't you can't discharge them in bankruptcy court. Yeah. And that was basically what was going on. So they were garnishing his wages. Hmm. So he was living in New York, like on. He was trying to eat in New York, like his food budget was like a hundred dollars a month. Yeah. Which is in New York is now. Why was he staying in New York? I don't know. You have to ask that's him. like the most expensive place in the world to stay. Well, he he grew up there. His job was somewhere in New York, yeah. and uh, wow. I, mean, I don't know. Talk to him. I'm not <laughs> going to try and defend him. I'm just yeah. I'm just repeating a story. Yeah. And so, well, a story I don't have is that showing that now over a third of the American population is in poverty or on the edge of poverty. Yep. One third. Yeah, I believe it. Technically, I'm like. Technically, I'm in poverty. Yeah, it's weird because I don't, I sure don't feel like it. Yeah, like my life is so full of stuff and like everything's, well, I don't have any money, but <laughs> rich, in, rich in blessings. Yeah, rich in blessings, you know. Yeah. So, well, you know what? You're healthy, and that means a lot. Especially now, you man. Still that, do stuff. That you know? that rolfing that I got, man. Yeah. It was, you know, essentially the main move is like like. You know, like the wrestling you see on TV, like the yeah. third rope, off the third rope with the elbow yeah. into into a sensitive, you know, like sensitive part, like mm-hmm. this, my side or my knee or whatever yeah. or whatever. And, uh, but man, I, I feel like so much without pain now. Do you think there was anything occult about it? No, it's just like, I mean. You don't the think dude, Azazel taught the people of Earth how to do this before the flood? Probably not. The the guy, the people who tend to practitioner it are really new agey, but yeah. the actual practitioning is just, okay. you know, it's like massage therapy. It's like going to yeah. a Hindu doctor. You didn't feel your kundalini spirit coming up out of your spine, or well, he did chakra. shake some snakes over me and make okay. me drink a, some ayahuasca tea. Okay. And I talked to some dude in a. He put his elbow in your pineal. Yeah, it's really hurt, man. Yeah, yeah. He drilled a hole into my pineal first, though. Yeah, that's horrible. Yeah, it lets that excess out. Yeah. I got a, I got a cork in it with some, <laughs> some like a skin graft. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry. Okay. That's all. That's completely wow. silly. So, uh, you know what? This stories like this lead me to believe this is so self evident. But we just have to quit listening to any kind of news stuff like this and assume there's facts in it. Mm-hmm. To any particular degree. Uh, I mean, you know, one thing you can do is just check a whole bunch of different sources, and we certainly suggest people check other counter sources to what we talk about. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, the Bible is the only thing we know for sure has real truth. Mm-hmm. And our opinions of how to handle social issues, ethical issues, mm-hmm. things of today, 
They'd better be based on the Bible yep. because any of this other kind of stuff is completely manipulated. Just go get your Swedenborgian Bible and start reading. <laughs> That's hey, a joke, folks. That's I totally have, a joke. To counter that lengthy story, I have two little chicklets stories, okay? Two little tiny ones. Okay. Um, that take nanoseconds for each okay. of them. Okay. This is one that mentions uh, secrets of skull and bones blown wide open. Da- daughter of Bonesman, Char- Charlotte Iserbit, Izer- uh, lifts the veil on the mysterious secret society. Uh, and this was on PrisonPlanet.com. It says in an exclusive Prison Planet TV interview, Charlotte Iserbit, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce her name, mm-hmm. former senior policy advisor in the U.S. Department of Education under Ronald Reagan, which mm-hmm. is no slouch, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, blows wide open the mystique behind the enigmatic Skull and Bone Secret Society, drawing on her father and grandfather's first-hand knowledge of the Yale fraternity as Bonesmen themselves <laughs> to provide a revealing insight into the history of the organization. As a former high-level education official, Iserbit exposes how Skull and Bones was instrumental in changing education into a form of operant condition that more closely resembled animal training than real intellectual enhancement by uh, by implementing experimental psychology techniques brought over from Germany. The aim was to abolish free thinking and free will, molding each person into a valueless cog of the state. Of the state. Yay, valueless cogs. She also lists the lid on how sensitivity training is used to impose collectivist, communist-style thought control ensuring that people can be easily manipulated into forming their opinions based on groupthink and that any shred of individuality or thinking that contradicts the status quo was frowned upon. And if you all want to look that up, just look up sensitivity training if you Google that. Mm-hmm. It's a thing they do in corporations and businesses where you learn that if your values are sort of an outlier from the rest of the group you're with, how they can cajole you into caving in mm-hmm. to what sort of like the consensus is. Uh, Iserbit uh, reveals the secret Skull and Bones member list that was supposed to remain private and how it was connected to the effort by elites in America to build up the Soviet Union during the Cold War. Okay? Did, mm-hmm. did you hear that? I there, did. Uh, skull and Bones people were supposed to be building up the Soviet Union during the Cold War. That would be hard to believe, except I finally tracked... Except it's it, totally true. Well, and mm-hmm. I just tracked down a quote from um, the president of the Ford Foundation to the ranking member of the Congressional Oversight Committee for the Reese Committee and found the actual citation where he says, um, um, and, and this was like based upon interviews with the man who was a congressional person, he was told. The head of the Ford Foundation told him that, th- that their commission from the president himself was to help facilitate an eventual merger of the Soviet Union and the United States. Hmm. And Far out. Yeah. Uh, Israbit reveals the secret Skull and Bones member... Okay. Um, she touches upon the research of Anthony Sutton to reveal how Bonesmen protected each other when they were faced with questions from the House Committee on Un-American Activities concerning their support for communists. Israbit relates how she and Sutton came to the conclusion that the men contained on the secret membership list were almost completely responsible for American foreign policy, hmm. as well as education policy during the time they were in power. Ezerbit also talks about her skull and bones grandfather clock, which her father always ordered to be set at five minutes ahead of time, 
to symbolize the fact that bonesmen were always one step ahead of the rest of society. Sort of clever. <laughs> um, so, if you might want to check that, if you have access to PrisonPlanet.tv, mm-hmm. look up some more down here. And uh, I thought I had another little short one, but I'll I'll defer. This next okay. one's almost a page long, so I'll come back for that. All right. Um, I that have was one story instead of two, so sorry about that. I have a study from Farley Dickinson University's Public Mind poll. Hey, you know, sometimes they make it into the uh, the big dance, March Madness, Fairleigh Dickinson. Far- Fairleigh Dickinson? Yeah. 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 I don't even know who their mascot is, but... Emily Dickinson? I don't know. Chris Farley? The fighting elitist. <laughs> Chris Farley and Emily Dickinson? Chris Farley. <laughs> um, a van down by the river. <laughs> okay, what do they say? Uh, some news, Some news shows... Leave people knowing less. <laughs> they referred to our show as Feature Quake on that list. <laughs> it's got a picture of you here. Mm-hmm. And somebody dozing with a headset on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's me. Um, accor- I was thinking of our listeners. But. Yeah. According to the latest results from Fairleigh Dickinson University's public mind poll, some news sources make us less likely to know what's going on in the world. In the most recent study, the poll asked New Jerseyans about current events at home and abroad, and from what sources, if any, they get their information. The conclusion? Sunday morning news shows do the best to help people learn about current events, while some outlets, especially Fox News, lead people to be even less informed than those who, who say they don't watch any news at all. Now, who, who did this study? Because people are going to cry foul on whoever did it. Sure. It's Fairleigh Dickinson University. This is just a university study. Yeah. Okay. I mean. Oh, they're liberals. Yeah. And they give, and they give uh, you know, numbers for people you can contact. Yeah. Daniel Casino or Peter Woolley. I like that name. Peter Woolley. Peter Woolley. Peter Woolley. Peter um, Woolley. Peter Woolley. Among other topics, New Jerseyans were asked about the outcome of the uprisings in North Africa and the Middle East this past year. While 53% of New Jerseyans know that Egyptians were successful in overthrowing the government of Hosni Mubarak, 21% say that the uprisings were unsuccessful and 26% admit they don't know. Also, 48% know that the Syrian uprisings Uprising has thus far been unsuccessful, while 36% say they don't know, and 16% say the Syrians have already toppled their government. And uh, less than 1% say that uh, it's all run by the Americans uh, at the behest of uh, uh, powers in the region. The Saudis and the Israelis conspiring. And the reason you can know that is because the the software that the the rebels, quote-unquote, are using is all American-made, and uh, it actually has been shown that it can phone home, mm. can, and, and perhaps even does. There's circumstantial evidence to show that it already has phoned home, just to let people know what's going on. Ah. Um, it's a little aside. Yeah. But the real finding is that the results depend on what media sources people turn to for their news. For example, people who watch Fox News, the most popular of the 24-hour cable news networks, are 18 points less likely to know that Egyptians overthrew their government than those who watch no news at all. After controlling for other news sources, partisanship, education, and other demographic factors, 
Fox News watchers are also six points less likely to know that Syrians have, yet, have not yet overthrown their government than those who watch no news. Because of the controls for partisanship, we know these results are not just driven by Republicans or other groups being more likely to watch Fox News. So they're not saying it's a Republican issue, mm-hmm. it's a Fox News issue. Said Dan Casino, a professor of political science at Fairleigh Dickinson and an analyst for the Public Mind poll. Rather, the results show us that there is something about watching Fox News that leads people to do worse on these questions than those who don't watch any news at all. Um, by contrast, some media sources have a positive effect on political knowledge, and this is really going to make people cry foul. Mm-hmm. For example, people who report reading a national newspaper like the New York Times or USA Today are 12 points more likely to know that Egyptians have overthrown their government than those who have not looked at any news source. And those who listen to the nonprofit NPR network are 11 points more likely to know the outcome of the revolt against Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. However, the best informed respondents are those that watch Sunday morning news programs, uh, leading to a 16-point increase in the likelihood of knowing what happened in Egypt and an 8-point increase in the likelihood of knowing what happened in Syria. Uh, Sunday morning news shows tend to spend a lot a lot more time on a single issue than other news broadcasts, and they are less likely to generate into people shouting at each other, Casino said. Yeah. Viewers pick up more information from this sort of calm discussion. They're forced to do less entertainment. Yeah, uh, from these other formats. Unfortunately, yeah. these shows have a much smaller audience than the, other sh- than the, uh, mm-hmm. than the shouters. Yeah. Uh, and it, it goes on, and there's there's other interesting Everybody stuff. Everybody knows that that's listening, that d- those things on the cable news thing, yeah. they end up being shout fest. Yeah. I know Mrs. Future, she can't take it. She insists that we change the channel over to ESPN so we can hear sports writers shouting at each other. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is he said the highest, the highest thing that uh, led to an increase was people who said who watched the Daily Show with John Stewart. Mm-hmm. Uh, it leads to a six point. Uh, it led to a six point decrease in identifying uh, protesters. Uh, in this particular question they asked as Republicans, and a 12-point increase in the likelihood of giving correct answers. They were the most informed? Yeah. On a basically a comedy show yeah. that talks about news in the context to sort of poke fun at it. Yep. Now, that's funny. I'm, I'm not surprised. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm not surprised because you will hear questions and things asked that for some reason never get asked anywhere else, and they'll get asked there. Yeah. In an interview there. Uh, you know. Casino has a couple of choice quotes here at the end. Uh, Given the amount of time and effort the media spent covering these candidates, the fact that only about half of the public can name one of the front runners is embarrassing. That's pitiful. Yeah. That's just pitiful. The fact that Fox News, the preferred media outlet for many of the candidates, doesn't do better in informing viewers is very surprising. Uh, The amount of time spent on an issue and the depth to which it's discussed makes a difference, says Casino. Whatever its flaws may be, talk radio has spent a lot of time talking about the nominations, and the basic facts seem to have gotten through with that population. Hmm. So, All right. uh, there you have it, Farley well, Dickinson University poll. Maybe that explains why a lot of our Christian friends seems like don't know a whole lot about the stuff we talk about, because if if it, they're only supposed to get on the Sunday morning shows, mm-hmm. and maybe they're getting ready for church, and you know, yeah. Well, they go to one of those churches where they rappel down from the ceiling on well, Sunday morning. Yeah, like around here. There's, there's, uh, so there's interesting stuff there, you know. Not as interesting as my next story, but still interesting. Okay. 
Would you like me to share a little something here? Please do. Okay. This is not not a long story. Uh, this is from My Way News, but it's from an AP story. My Way. Uh, Israel shuts down dubbish radio station. This is out of Israel, Jerusalem. Dubbish? Yeah. Like dubstep? Peace peace loving. Oh. Like what? Dubbish. Yeah. I thought you meant like, there's a type of music called dub or dubstep, and I thought like a dubstep. No, No. dubbish. Oh, dubbish. Israel has ordered the shutdown of a dubbish uh, Israeli-Palestinian radio station. Officials and the station's operator said Sunday. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. (laughs) The station and the other critics said the move was politically motivated and part of a broader assault on democracy by conservative forces in the government. You are too peace-loving. You will be (laughs) shut down now. Some members of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's coalition have pushed forward a series of measures recently that critics say are aimed at stifling opponents. Amongst the proposed legislation are attempts to block most foreign funding for dovish nonprofit groups. Peace-loving is what they're meaning. The more, okay. the more we well, love peace-loving groups, the more phantom wins. We must, we must kill. Yeah. We must have blood and guts and veins in the teeth. Only a handful of people know what you're referring to. <laughs> Lowering the threshold for politicians to file libel suits against the media. I say, and Judge, I will not pick up the garbage. And a push to shift control of the Supreme Court appointments from an independent panel to Parliament. Okay, Zohan. You can have anything you want at Ellis's restaurant. Conservative lawmaker Danny Denon, who's a guy who's seen the news a lot, posted that he had helped close the All for Peace radio station. You know, that's when you got to shut down All for Peace. What if that actually caught on? You know? Mm-hmm. I mean, the government's got to do something about stopping that peace stuff. Danan, mm-hmm. a member of Netanyahu's Likud party, claimed that the communications ministry shuttered the station at his request after he claimed it incited against Israel. Was that Make peace it thing. smooth. A radical leftist station that becomes an instrument of incitement must not be allowed to broadcast to the broader public, Danan said. See, this is that... Uh, that advanced Western society in Israel mm-hmm. that brings civility to the Middle East, to all the savages in yeah. the Middle East. This is this is part of the freedom that we fight for while we it's give like our lives for New Jersey on the Mediterranean. So they could shut down stations Yay, Jersey. that are yeah. that are they admit are peace loving and have a different political leaning than the current coalition government. So they can shut down that free speech. That's we what we die for. All Operators of All for Peace Radio said they complied with a shutdown order issued last week. I guess it was they didn't want to die. Uh, Israel's communications industry uh, ministry confirmed it issued the order and said the station was broadcasting into Israel illegally. The ministry, headed by a Likud cabinet you stop, minister, we give fizzy bubbly. said in a statement, I get to the story, that the station's Hebrew language broadcast inside Israel were economically damaging local radio franchisees, about I guess with the peace-loving message. It did not mention the issue of incitement. Mosi Raz, the Israeli director of the station, okay, he's Israeli himself mm-hmm. directing it in the West Bank, said that it transmits from the West Bank where it is not subject to Israeli law. He told Israel Radio that the station, which has been operating since 2004, would go to court in Israel to try to get back on the air. 
Roz also said the ministry had never questioned the legality of the station's operations in the past and that the Israeli government press office had issued press cards to the station's journalists. The string of moves against Israel's dovish left wing has drawn heavy criticism of the government where there have been signs that the government may be backing down. Well, they got to get ready for war because they got to get the whole public mindset committed that there's no other way but war. Uh, on Sunday, an official in Netanyahu's office said the Prime Minister opposed a bill that would allow lawmakers to veto Supreme Court appointments. Conservatives say the court has a liberal bias, so they'll just change how they pick them. Um, he spoke in condition of anonymity because he was not allowed to publicly discuss Netanyahu's position. Israeli journalists also opposed a tightening of the libel law that critics say would put a major chill on investigative reports. They're becoming fascist, or more fascist. That's what this is becoming. Suggesting. Yeah. The the closure of the radio, and not you know, not just them. The U.S. is up there too. Everybody else, everybody's becoming fascist. The closure of the radio station joins a wave of legislation and other measures against a free press in Israel that very much worries anyone who cares about Israeli democracy," said Danny Zakin, the head of Israeli Journalists Association. Hmm. How many Christian organizations in America you think probably read that story? I do not know. I'm going to guess we're it. I drink and, the fizzy bubbly. And, and PayPal does not consider us a ministry anyway, so I don't know if can say That's awesome. Because we don't, we don't, you know, shell big bucks down from people, so we don't count. You can get anything you want at Alice's restaurant. That has nothing to do with it. I want to see blood. Blood and goods and veins in the teeth. Like this? You see? I, Okay, Mr. Mossad, what do you got over there to read? <laughs> uh, what price the new democracy? Question mark. Goldman Sachs conquers Europe. You uh, like that Goldman Sachs stuff, don't you? Yeah, it's just it's interesting to to sort of put find things that help put the pieces together. Yeah, you know. Yeah. This is a great article for that, and I'll um I will probably won't read much of the article, but I'll just they have a great um, sort of a map of Europe, mm-hmm. and they have about what three, six, uh, eight guys here that are former Goldman Sachs people that they yeah. give that are instrumental in the banking thing. I had another story with similar kind of stuff, and I knew you were going to read one already. Well, I'm glad I got you. it anyway. But yeah. you knew I'm that. Sure that's, you're yeah. trumping me here. With this. Yep. Uh, let me just. I'll just sort of go around the go around the the, the table there just with it. Sock it to me. Yep. Uh, first off, in Belgium, we have Carol uh, van Meert. He's the former EU competition commissioner and an ex-international advisor to Goldman Sachs. He's one of the most powerful people in the EU's banking, mm-hmm. banking and um, uh, you know, uh, antitrust, yeah. if you could call it that, antitrust organizing. Mm-hmm. And he's an ex-Goldman Sachs guy. Let me ask you this. Since their reach and tentacles go so far, uh-huh. do you think, how many people you think within the Revelations Radio Network have Goldman Sachs connections? Well, besides me and you, probably not very many. <laughs> well, think, I guess besides you, probably not many. What about like Tim, a Tim and Mike show? Would you guess he would? Uh, maybe Mike. Yeah. Yeah. You think so? No, I, I think you're probably the only guy who's ever worked for him, so. I never worked for Goldman Sachs. Didn't you work for Goldman Sachs? No. Oh, okay. No, I did have possible arrangements with the Carlisle Group. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I, I, I get all of your super secret connections yeah. confused. They're the, they're the ones that Bilderberg answers to. It's mm-hmm. The Carlisle Group. Bilderberg yeah, I was going to say. Bidding. What about that time where you? What about that time where you asked to join the uh, Skull and Bones? 
Yeah, they, they you have to give them all your dirty secrets. And I couldn't do that. <laughs> you didn't have any. It's too many. They didn't have yeah. enough time. Yeah, uh, our poor listeners don't know that we're joking. No, I wasn't about the Carlisle group. But yeah, but I mean the skull of bone stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't been part of them in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, so that's Belgium. Otmar Ising. He's the former board member of the Bundesbank, which is very much. They're kind of the they're they're the one. Savior of yeah. potential savior of the right. of the euro, and they're basically saying no, right? What is Longshoreman Johnny in that list? You know, it's funny. He actually was an FX trader, and he worked extensively. The way that you FX trade is you take your money and leverage it up like twenty times. Longshoreman Johnny, mm-hmm. really? Yeah, you leverage it up like twenty to fifty times from a with a mm-hmm. loan of that, Iron Show fame. Yeah, with okay. an insta loan from. Um, the Bank of International Settlements, yeah, and then you trade on that, right? The the downside is, you know, like as you know, like yeah. leverage money, you get a you get a sharp deflection, and it's all gone, bye bye. Yeah, you know. So what about Elliot Nash? No, was he connected to Goldman Sachs? Not that I okay. know of. When he's not carrying that cross around the country, dragging it. He was dragging a cross around the country. Wasn't he? No, I don't think so. Oh, I thought he did. I thought that's when he was doing street preaching. Oh, he might. I don't know. You got to talk. I could be confused. I don't know. Um, anyway, Otmar Ising, he's a former member of the Bundesbank and helped NESC. By, by the way, look up Elliot Nash in our archives. Yeah, yeah. N-E-S-C-H. Fascinating show. Yeah, I, I love that. It's love like my show. favorite intro. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he helped create the Euro. That's how, you know, heavy this guy is. He was a, one of the creators of the Euro. Yeah. He's a special advisor to Goldman Sachs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mario Draghi. He's the head of the European Central Bank, the new head of the European Central Bank. He's the former managing director of Goldman Sachs International. Uh, Petros Christandalou, head of Greece's debt, and Lucas Papademos both have ties to uh, Goldman Sachs, both people from Greece. Mario Monti, obvious ties as we we, Mm -hmm. we talked about, uh, was a former part of their international group. Um, uh, Antonio Borghese, uh, hmm. uh, of France. He was also, he was the head of the, basically the French bank mm-hmm. and also had ties to Goldman Sachs as one of their international advisors. I'm seeing a trend here. Yep. And then of course, Peter Sutherland, who is the att- former attorney general of Ireland. Uh, he was a prominent voice during Ireland's bailout, bailout and he was a non-executive director of Goldman Sachs International. So, basically, in all of these countries, it's uh, somebody... Uh, Not just ours, where we have Timothy Geithner and all of these yeah, other guys. Who who's also Goldman a Sachs. Goldman Sachs guy. And, yeah. Um, Hank Paulson. Hank Paulson was that? Yeah. 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 And uh, just, a, you know, it's the Goldman Sachs project. This is probably, without question, the most powerful company in the world. Uh-huh. Now, they don't yeah. have as many guns as, say, Blackwater or whatever yep. their name is now, but... But real economic power. Yep. Um, uh, Antonio Borghese, who, mm-hmm. who I think I'm pronouncing his name. Yeah, I've worked correct. with a Borghese, but that's normally an Italian name. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, he he actually run ran the the IMF until Wednesday. Okay. So that's I, I had that. Um. So yeah, the vampire squid. So if we want to change the world, we just need to first get a job at Goldman Sachs. Uh-huh. Change the world. Suck it dry. 
So anyway, uh, that's just that's really all I had on that. I just wanted to okay. kind of, you know, I mean, uh, that's it, you know. There you have all of these these there, high, high, high level. Is there people. a good way for us not to do business with Goldman Sachs? Or would any of us regular normal people growing our own ever food? have any? Maybe, yeah. yeah. If we had any direct relationship. Yeah. I mean, they don't run like a regular consumer bank or anything, right? It's just basically yeah. here's, here's some on Wall Street. Here's some interesting facts. In 2002, there was a transaction of to the Greek government where Goldman Sachs channeled a billion dollars of funding to the Greek government. On the other side of the deal, working in the National Bank of Greece, was Petros Christodoulou, uh, who begun his career at Goldman and then had been promoted to the head of the office managing government Greek debt. Hmm. So there you like, okay. you know. Would you like me to add some stuff on Goldman Sachs? Mm-hmm, please. I will skip over, try to get over the redundancy, but this was an interesting gentleman. I found his uh, on News with Views, newswithviews.com, which can have some interesting people. Dennis Cuddy's on there, which uh-huh. makes it good. This guy's name's Dave Hodges. I don't know if any of you all have heard of him. No, Newman. Uh, let me just tell you who he is. Uh, he's an award-winning psychology, sociology, statistics, and research professor, college basketball coach, um, spokesman for the newly formed National Coalition, the American Coalition to Protect Personal Property Rights. Mm-hmm. And he's referred to as America's most independent talk show host. He does the Common Sense Show on Republic Broadcasting Network every Sunday at 9 Central. So... Just keep that. Anyway, here's what he says. He qu- he begins with a quote from um, from David Rockefeller. So now at least we have Rockefeller in, on the show here. Mm-hmm. He says, Nephilim. yeah, David Rockefeller in his memoir says the supranational supranational sovereignty of an intellectual elite and world bankers is surely preferable to the national auto determination practiced in past centuries. So Rockefeller makes it clear in his own writing that supranational, something beyond our individual nation states, a group of intellectual elites and world bankers should be running the show instead of national auto-determination, where the citizens of each country decide. Okay, he says, uh, Hodges here says, it's no secret that Goldman Sachs runs Wall Street. Even Ray Charles could see that Goldman Sachs runs our government, as evidenced by the former Goldman Sachs gangsters who have run our economy into the ground. Uh, includes uh, Clinton's Secretary of Treasury, Rubin, Bush's Secretary of Treasury, uh, Too Big to Fail, Paulson, Goldman Sachs, and Tiny Tim Geithner, uh, their Secretary of the Treasury, and on and on. Goldman Sachs dominates the Federal Reserve. Goldman Sachs dominates the World Bank. Goldman Sachs dominates the IMF. Goldman Sachs dominates the New York Stock Exchange. And now Goldman Sachs is running the European financial system into the ground as another Goldman Sachs boy, Super Mario Monti, has taken over Italy to finish off what is left of the Italian financial system. Monti is the head of the European Trilateral Com- Commission, as well as a Bilderberger. And yet another Goldman Sachs boy is finishing off the job in Greece. Today's events parallel the imperialist of the 20, early 20th century, which resulted in World War I. The Wall Street-led depression of the 30s led to the rise of political extremism and ultimately to World War II. It's mm. not a good trend. Uh, today, yeah, Gold- I'm sensing something here that's yeah. not looking good. Today, Goldman Sachs and their fellow Wall Street cronies are currently running, or dare I say ruining, the global economy, and the consequences are going to result in the culmination of World War III. 
from which these same gangsters will profit from the build-up, the death, and the destruction of hundreds of millions, if not billions, of innocent people, as well as the lucrative cleanup which follows every war. However, the ultimate prize for the coming war will be the ruination of the planet in order to reconstruct civilization in a true fascist model that Hitler and Mussolini could only dream about. Now, you know, a lot of these news reviews people wouldn't agree with everything he says here. Uh, remember, the globalists like to say, in reference to their favorite Hegelian diet, they like to quote, out of chaos comes order. Mind you, it won't be Goldman Sachs money that pays for the destruction of humanity in the coming war. This war's blood money will be your money and my money. Mind you, it won't be Goldman Sachs' children that are pressed into military service and will be sacrificed in the coming conflict. It will be your children and my children who will be sacrificed in the name of furthering the bottom line of Goldman Sachs' mafia. Uh, meanwhile, the Goldman Sachs children will be safely tucked away attending private schools on your nickel and on the blood of your children as the devastation begins to unfold. Mm. I get it. He doesn't like them. Uh, not a Goldman Sachs fan. Yeah. Like when that Wall Street sock puppet, Barack Hussein Obama, gave national uh, gave Israel permission to attack Iran. This gets controversial. Mm-hmm. Okay. When Obama gave Israel permission to attack Iran, the dominoes leading to the next world war have begun to topple as Russia will certainly come to the aid of its trading partner, Iran. And Russia has already moved warships in place to protect Syria from attack by NATO. Uh, Germany, except for Merkel, is taking a stand against this international banking cartel's planned economic destruction of Europe. Uh, A growing number of experts feel that Germany may leave the EU and will join forces with Russia, as evidenced by the recent series of trade and manufacturing agreements between the two countries. Can you imagine if that happened in World War II? Of course, you know, they did have a non-aggression pact at the beginning of World War II. I was just That's where they that carved up, yeah. up uh, Poland. Um, uh, it said this would mark the breakup of NATO and leave American and British forces on their own to fight the coming war. This is exactly what these banksters desire, which is the destruction of American or military might. America will prove to be the last man standing on this corrupt march toward a bankster-dominated New World Order, and we Americans must be taken down and taken out of vengeance to achieve this end. This swath of international destruction being promulgated by Goldman Sachs is also being visited upon the daily lives of American public here at home. Courtesy of Goldman Sachs gangsters, there are no more safe financial havens for American citizens. Your bank account, your pension fund, your investment account, and home mortgages are no longer safe. These collective funds are not at risk because of the risk of falling victim to the failing economy, as much as these funds are subject to confiscation by Goldman Sachs and its shell corporations, along with the complicit support of the federal government. A clear case in point lies in the recent happenings of MF Global. MF Global, a shell corporation beholding to Goldman Sachs, was led to the slaughter by the former Goldman Sachs executive and former New Jersey Governor and Senator John Corzine. Corzine's criminal actions have directly victimized 35,000 Americans by stealing an estimated $900 million of his clients' money from their supposedly secure private account. There is also another $600 million missing dollars from MF Global. Meanwhile, Corzine avoids sharing a prison cell with Bernie Madoff by purchasing a get-out-of-jail card through the sponsorship of a $35,000-per-plate fundraiser for the Wall Street puppet uh, Barack Obama. And what are the government watchdogs doing to protect our money from this new generation of robber barons? The short answer is that the feds are partners with Goldman Sachs in this monumental violation of public trust. 
Take Gary Gensler, a former Goldman Sachs executive partner. That sounds like a broken record, doesn't it? Everybody reread a former Goldman Sachs, who, mm-hmm. who, who, like so many other Goldman Sachs gangsters, has been placed in the key governmental oversight positions in order to protect the Goldman Sachs co-conspirators from prosecution as they continue their reign of terror upon the global economy. Gary the Gangster Gensler is the former Undersecretary of Treasury and Assistant Secretary of the Treasury and the current Director of the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. In his present position, Gensler has the authority to go after Corzine for his role in the MF Global debacle and order restitution. However, Gensler has decided to protect a fellow member of the Goldman Sachs Mafia by not looking into the massive fraud and theft by Corzine and his cronies. Okay, so you got a Goldman Sachs guy who is supposed to be the watchdog mm-hmm. for this. Your tax dollars are paying the salary of federal officials who are overseeing the most massive illegal private transfer of wealth in the history of the planet. And our collective wealth is payable to Goldman Sachs and their criminal enterprise partners on Wall Street. You may not be one of the current 35,000 Goldman Sachs MF Global victims. However, this Robin Hood reverse scenario in which the rich are plundering what's left of the middle class will soon be visited upon your bank and your pensions. These criminal banksters are in the process of stealing it all, and what are you going to do about it? While you and the rest of America are trying to collectively remove uh, your deer-in-the-headlight gaze while considering your next financial move, please consider that the greed and avarice of the Wall Street boys are increasingly in evidence as they're making people work in this coming Thanksgiving in their corporate stores. Would you think there would be two days, Thanksgiving and Christmas, in which the Wall Street gangsters would leave us alone? But no, the Wall Street addiction to greed is a 24-7 affliction. To all employees in the chain stores, this is what he recommends for them to do, okay? Because mm-hmm. they ultimately are connected to Goldman Sachs, a big chain yeah. store. He says, call in sick on these two holidays and go be with your families, all of them. He says, if you're still trying to figure out your next move in an effort to take some measure of power back from these gangsters, please allow me to jumpstart your decision, okay? And this is for all of our listeners, as well as you and me, by, by encouraging you to not buy anything on Black Friday, you say you will miss out on all the deals. Well, if you must shop on that day, don't buy anything from the chain stores. Americans need to financially break the back of the Wall Street-owned chain stores because as long as we support the chains, like the Chinese slave labor supported Walmart, we are going to be the ones who end up in chains. That's that's true. Yeah. It's in our hands totally. if we will do it. He says, how about celebrating this Christmas in the spirit of honoring Jesus Christ? How about giving gifts from the heart? How about donating a portion of your Christmas money to the homeless and the hungry who have been victims of these criminal enterprise activities? Before the corporate whores on Wall Street commercialized and stole the spirit of Christmas, this holiday used to be about helping the poor, going to church, and spending time with loved ones. How about taking back Christmas and not buying one corporate-made gift? The Wall Street boys are already stealing our tax money, which is supposed to be going for things like roads, defense, and education. As if Goldman Sachs hasn't stolen enough, they are showing you and me that even our investment accounts are not beyond the reach of their thieving hands. How about this Christmas season you keep what little money the corporate bought and paid for, self-admitted inside trader political prostitutes in Washington District of Criminals haven't stolen from you, and stay out of the corporate stores? How about letting this Christmas be the one in which you teach your children the value of being of service to humanity as opposed to helping to further the call for those who are plundering the spirit of humanity? Word up. And while you're at it, take your money out of all forms of the stock market, 
J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, etc. Buy gold and silver coins. This Christmas, buy things of value that you will absolutely need. Then let's really stick it to Wall Street as we begin to trade and barter for goods and services with other members of our collective communities. I really think this is the answer. I really do. I have for some time. Outside the reach of Wall Street, the Federal Reserve and the IRS. Okay? Mm-hmm. Barter. Trade and barter with people you know and trust. In this manner, you will keep what is left of your money out of the clutches of these gangsters. Some who have heard my anger have asked me if I favor a violent overthrow of the United States government. To that question, I answer in the negative. However, show me a way to be involved in the overthrow of the gangsters who have hijacked my country's government, and I'll be the first in line. And he says, I want to announce that I have a special Christmas present for the boys at Goldman Sachs during this holiday season. Baseball bat? (laughs) No. But before Christmas, I will reveal how the Goldman Sachs boys, consisting of Peter D. Sutherland and Lord Subprime Blankenfein, orchestrated and profited from the Gulf oil spill while spreading financial devastation, ecological destruction, as well as a soft-killed genocide to the 40 million people residing in the Gulf. I will also be revealing how Sutherland and Blankenfein took their lead from Corzine's $35,000 get-out-of-jail card presidential fundraiser uh, when they made it possible for Obama's Vanguard Investment Fund to net him $85 million in order to look the other way with regard to their criminal actions in the Gulf. And the book's called The Great Gulf Coast Holocaust, The Goldman Sachs Masterminds, coming in December 2011. Mm -hmm. That guy's name's Dave Hodges. Sorry that was long, but I, I, I agree with what he's saying. And Here's something I wanted to suggest to amend his recommendation for our listeners. Uh, Futurians, if you listen for a long time, you know we've had a lot of incredibly great guests. Most of them have written some kind of book, and they've done it as a labor of love. They're not, they're, they don't really live off what they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do it because they feel committed to it. Why don't you go to the links at futurequake.com and look up some of your favorite shows and the book links of those people? like William Grigg or some of these other people, mm-hmm. and just them. buy their books. Buy that for Christmas. Give mm-hmm. that to your relatives. You're taking a play out of my playbook. So okay. I did last year. Yeah. Well, you know, was it last year? I, it was right before we started the two-book sets. Uh-huh. I had, And this is what gave me the idea for the two-book set. I had bought a case of the Lies of Government Told You book and also uh, Andrew Hoffman's books. Uh-huh. Uh, Maybe you did beat me you to it. I don't know. New World Order Eugenics Wars. And I gave those sets to my nieces and nephews. Mm -hmm. And they looked at me like, what? And did they read them? No. This isn't a DVD. How do you you stick that in the computer? I stuck it in the... The DVD didn't. I don't know. But they started to look at it. it harder. It didn't, you know. And you know what? It is our prerogative. DVD's messed up. If people look at us weird, our relatives, hey, they probably look at us weird for our opinions on topics anyway. So Mm -hmm. why not? But why not support these people who have kindred spirits to us and have taken the incredible work to write these books and materials, whether it could be DVD, documentary, whatever it is. Why don't all of our Futurians think about that? I, I tell you what, if you all are going to try to at least do some significant portion of that for your Christmas gifts to do this kind of stuff from people that you already admire, uh, drop an email to us so we can share it with our listeners. And maybe we can encourage each other. To make it a real values Christmas rather than a, mm-hmm. ba- you know, criminal bankers Christmas. <laughs> criminal bankers Christmas. I like that. That's good. So that's it. Criminal bankers Christmas. 
I'm dreaming of a fair Christmas. Got a story. Are I've you got, dreaming of a story for I've us? I've got many, many, many stories. Well, just pick the best one, the most fascinating, riveting okay. one. Okay. I will talk about the... Since we're, we've been going about on and on about uh, Goldman Sachs and whatever, I'll do... Uh, um, I'll do just sort of a highlight reel. Of now, some. You can change the palette, okay? Okay. Whatever you, you, know, you pre-organized. Right. You know, just whatever you had pre-organized before the show began. Well, it's just, it, things are just getting so crazy out there, I figured I'll just, you know, whip people up into a frenzy. Good. That's, that'll bless yeah, people, them. People make good decisions when they're... In a frenzy, in yeah. A frenzy. Lost control. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> control loss, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um the first quote is from Credit, Credit Suisse's Fixed Income Research Unit. We seem to have entered the last days of the euro as we currently know it. That doesn't make a breakup very likely, but it does mean some extraordinary things will, most, will almost certainly need to happen, probably by mid-January, to prevent the progressive closure of all the eurozone sovereign bond markets, potentially accompanied by escalating runs on even the strongest banks. In January. Yeah, by okay. January. Um, number two is William Willem Buter, mm-hmm. uh, chief economist at Citigroup. Time is running out fast. I think we have maybe a few months. It could be weeks. It could even be days before there is a material risk of a fundamentally unnecessary default by a country like Spain or Italy, which would be a financial catastrophe dragging the European banking system in North America with it. Jim Reed of Deutsche Bank, if you don't think Merkel, that's Angela Merkel, Mm -hmm. uh, if you don't think Merkel's tone will change, then our investment advice is simply to dig a hole in the ground and hide. Uh, David Rosenberg, a senior economist at Gluskin Chef in Toronto, lenders are finding it difficult to finance their day-to-day activities, uh, or operations rather, with short-term funding. This is a lot like 2008, but with more twists. Christian Strack, the head of credit research for PIMCO. This is just a repeat of what we saw in 2008 when everyone wanted to see toxic assets off the bank, the bank's balance sheets. Uh, Paul Krugman of the New York Times. At this point, I'd guess soaring rates on Italian debt leading to gigantic bank run. Uh, both because of solvency fears about Italian banks given the default and because of fear that Italy will end up leaving the euro. This then leads to emergency bank closing, and once that happens, a decision to drop the euro, install the new lira, and then it happens in France. Hmm. (laughs) Uh, Paul Hickey of Bespoke Investment Group. More and more we are hearing anecdotal comments from individuals and professionals that this is the most difficult environment that they have ever experienced as the market is like a fish flopping around after being taken out of the water. Uh, Bob Janjua of Namora International. Uh, maybe Janjua? I don't know. Yeah. Germany appears to be adamant that full political and fiscal integration over the next day, uh, nothing substantive will happen over the short term in my view, is the only option and ECB monetization is no longer possible. I really think it is that clear and simple. And if I am wrong and the ECB does a U-turn and agrees to unlimited monetization, I will simply wait for the inevitable knee-jerk rally to fade before reloading my short-risk positions. 
Even if Germany and the ECB somehow agree to unlimited monetization, I believe it will do nothing to fix the insolvency and lack of growth in the Eurozone. It will just result in a major destruction of the ECB's balance sheet, which will force an ECB recap. Do you think all our listeners understand what you're talking about? No. Okay. No. It can be encapsulated by a great... Just remember, uh, they're listening along, so explain stuff to them. Okay. All right. Uh, I'll stick to the shorter quotes here. Um, Jim Rogers, PIMCO. In 2002, it was bad. In 2008, it was worse. And in 2012 or 13, it is going to be worse still. Francesco uh, Garzarelli of Goldman Sachs. Pressures on Euro-area sovereign bond markets have progressively intensified and spread like wildfire. Uh, the Dan Ackerson, CEO of General Motors, the 08 recession, which was credit bubble, which was a credit bubble that manifested itself through primarily the real estate market. That was a serious stress. This, however, is much, much more serious. Um, so anyway, that's like a top 10 or 11 right there. Um, there's a great video. Um, I'll send you the link uh, that uh, Brother Tim Kilkenny from the Tim and Mike show forwarded to me mm-hmm. it's a guy that was on tv and and he's talking and he goes he goes to be honest i've been dreaming about this about a default like this this is where everybody can make money and uh yeah. you know another earlier in the That's thing why they look at it yeah earlier in the thing uh somebody asked him and he said quite frankly that won't happen and they said well why not he says because goldman sachs runs the world <laughs> and they know no everybody yeah. stopped and looked at him and then he just starts going into this like look Everybody can make money at this. Like this is the point where even the average guy on the street who doesn't have anything, you 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 know, there's a couple of things and there's that, and then they cut them. I was like, okay, you're done. <laughs> wow. So, well, anyway, you got to take money from somebody else. You know, for every that's even in the stock market. For every winner, there's a loser. Mm-hmm. You know, when there's transactions. Somebody came out better than the other person with it. So, would you like me to cheer things up with uh, something that? A little bit cheer than the economic collapse of our world. What is this like going? more on the Dutro affair or something? No, it's nothing that cheery. Um, so this is going to get away from all the doom and gloom of the uh, economic collapse. Uh, Israel Today magazine says Jewish rabbinic sources predict doomsday. Jewish prophecy predicts my Messiah may be coming soon. This was just out yesterday in the news, okay? Mm-hmm. A medieval Jewish prophecy regarding the coming of Israel's Messiah appears to correspond to the current situation in the Middle East, Israel National News reported. Yep, here comes Ashur. A piece of rabbinic literature known as the Yalkut Shimoni, and I'm sure someone will tell me I said it wrong, touches on many future scenarios, both for the nation of Israel and for the world. In its section on the biblical book of Isaiah and the prophecies contained therein, a rabbi cited by the Yakut Shimoni, states, In the year in which our Messiah King appears, all the nations of the world are provoking each other. The king of Persia provokes an Arab king, and the Arab king turns to Aram for advice. That, that description closely mirrors Iran's defiant nuclear program and the tension it is creating with Arab states, particularly Saudi Arabia. This is their interpretation of this. Mm-hmm. Okay? But what happens next? According to the Yakut Shimoni, the king of Persia goes back and destroys the entire world, and all the nations of the world are in panic and distress, and they fall upon their faces and are seized with pains, like those of a woman giving birth. 
And they say that a recent report by the AEA confirmed that Iran's working on nuclear weapons. They could probably field such weapons in no more than a year's time. That means diplomatic efforts have failed, and barring a dangerous preemptive strike by Israel or America, Iran will obtain nuclear weapons. Many in the West are now focusing their efforts on downplaying the dangers of nuclear Iran. They argue that just as the Soviet Union did not use its nuclear weapons against the West, so too will Iran show restraint. But such commentaries fail to take into account the deeply ingrained religious ideology of those who rule Iran, who see themselves as the instruments of Allah and ushering a new golden age for Islam. So what does all this mean for Israel, assuming the Yakut Shimoni is accurate? This is interesting. They're mixing current events, things going on right now, with this sort of medieval Talmud kind of mm-hmm. thing. Okay, here's what the text reads further. It says, And Israel are in panic and distress and asking, Where shall we go? Where shall we go? And he says to them, My sons, do not fear all that I have done, all that I have done only for you. Why are you afraid? Do not fear. Your time of redemption has come, and the final redemption is not like the first redemption. Because the first redemption was followed by sorrow and servitude under other kingdoms. Now, what redemption would he be talking about? Probably returning from the like the exile, Babylonian yeah, exile. From the exile. Uh, part of the one of the things that that sort of, uh, I guess, the latest scholarship, yeah, uh, seems to indicate is that you know um, many of the Jews of the first century saw themselves uh, in a what's called a larger Exodus exile meta narrative where. They weren't. They were still in a form of exile because they were ruled by outside powers. The servant, mm-hmm. the scepter had departed from from the land. Yeah. Uh, they didn't have people there, and so they saw this. They saw a a cyclical prophecy uh, being lived out before their eyes, if you will, yeah. of of Exodus meta narrative. But it wasn't. It's really interesting. There's a great book on this that I gotta get. Mm-hmm. I wish somebody would send me like. A big just ton of cash so I could just go buy great books because mm-hmm. I know all these great books I want to read, but I yeah don't have the money. Um, but it's uh it's the idea is that there's all this Exodus meta narrative going on in the New Testament uh, where they Exodus and exile and they're coming out of this thing. That's yeah. what Jesus came to do is this exile sort of movement mm-hmm. out of it from this exile, and it comes out through it comes out in the book of Isaiah, right? Mm. It's like the Exodus. Yeah. The Exodus meta narrative, but it's not from Exodus, the book of Exodus. It's hmm. vis a vis through Isaiah. Okay. Does that make any sense at yeah. all? Yeah, I guess, but going back to what we were saying, sorry, he probably can't. means his first redemption relates to the exile. Yeah, the first redemption, I'm sure, okay. relates to coming out of. Okay. To coming out of the exile, you know, the Babylonian yeah. exile. It almost sounds like the time of Jewish of Jesus' redemption. Of course, they don't acknowledge yeah, that. Yeah, no. Um, so back to this medieval. Although Jewish they would, they would be happy to slam them because one of the things that seems to unite rabbinic Judaism these days is their hatred for for Jesus. For Jesus, yeah. yeah. Um, so back to the medieval Jewish prophecy. Uh, it says. Here's what they expect will happen in the in the Yakut Shimoni. And Israel are in panic and distress and act, asking, where shall we go? Where shall we go? And he says to them, my sons, do not fear. All that I've done, I've done only for you. Why are you afraid? Do not fear. Your time of redemption has come. And the final redemption is not like the first redemption, because the first redemption was followed by sorrow and servitude under other kingdoms. But the final redemption is not followed by sorrow and servitude under other kingdoms. 
Israel is indeed already showing signs of panic and distress, of that panic and distress. Over the past month, Israel has engaged in intense public debate over whether or not to strike Iran's nuclear facilities. And newspaper spreads have detailed what could happen to the Jewish state, both if it attacks and if it does not. Meanwhile, Israel's home front command has been practicing for a massive, unconventional missile barrage on Tel Aviv. Uh, it is not known who exactly compiled the Yakut Shimoni, but the oldest surviving co- copy dates around 1310 A.D. Many of the rabbis quoted in the Yakut Shimoni lived far earlier during the Talmudic era of the first and second centuries A.D. Yeah, there. That's you know. They're looking I won't, I won't for comment on it. They're looking for every other answer than Jesus, something that they can maintain their. And this is natural. Be, we all deal with arrogance. But they have an arrogant problem. They cannot humble yep. themselves to well, as, Christ. As but Brother God Robert will do said, it. God will yeah. accomplish it. Well, as Brother Robert said, you know, uh, the reason they're into so much New Age and Talmudic stuff. I mean, the very reason that... The Kabbalah. Yeah, yeah, the very reason that Rabbinic Judaism is the way it is today is because they got together at this council called the Council of Yasne mm-hmm. in like 150-something. And they yeah. said, look, all this bad stuff has happened. What do we do? We don't even have the temple anymore. And they said, well, we can take a second look at this Jesus guy, or we can just radically mysticize everything. Yeah. And they went, we like the mysticism yeah. idea. Yeah. And Akiva started right. working on, you know. Saying we made a mistake. Yeah, rewriting rewriting history. Well, I, th- I think that had a, the whole Talmud kind of thing had a lot to do with Babylon entering the Old Covenant, just like hmm. a lot of the... Uh, uh, liturgical church stuff, you know, after Constantine mm-hmm. was the Babylon entering the New Covenant people. So Babylon has its presence to yeah. pervert well, out. Well, there's 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 an interesting parallel between that and the various pronouncements G, uh, Jesus uh, God makes on uh, various various uh, actors within a divine council setting. Mm-hmm. He always charges them with economic. Uh, exploitation, exploitation, yeah, you know, right. uh, which is one of the things that if you look in the if you look at look if you look at Luke through a uh, through the the eyes of an economic exploitation, mm-hmm. uh, you know, reorientation of you know uh, economic distribution, mm-hmm. uh, you see all sorts of interesting things. I you know it's time fails us for me to go through yeah. the exposition of Luke 19, but just look what. Just look what uh, um, what John the Baptist charges in chapter mm-hmm. three of Luke uh, to the to the people. You know the publicans mm-hmm. come up. So what do we do? And he says, "Don't charge mm-hmm. more than you're allotted to." Right. You know the the soldiers come up and he says he says, "Well, what do we sh- what should we do?" And he says, "Be content with your wages." Mm-hmm. You know what should and the people come mm-hmm. and they say, "What should we do?" What should we do? And they say, "If you have two coats, give one to the other guy who doesn't have one. Likewise with your meat." That's all economic so, guidelines. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, yeah. Uh, and, and one of the things that's never talked now, about. That means you're just one of them liberal social gospel people to bring well, that up. Because a good evangelical church would never talk about economic welfare issues. Well, I challenge, I challenge any pastor to get up and give a, give a sermon where they talk about Prosbol. I don't remember him. Is he one of the He's one replacement of the <laughs> apostles? <laughs> Prosbol. Prosbol was a... Uh, Prosbol was a, 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 a ruling by the rabbis yeah. in the 7th century B.C. where they did away with the economic 
the economic jubilee year of the seven year, yeah. you know, the repayment of debts. And uh, their ruling basically was that uh, they couldn't. They so did, they could accumulate. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't have to have the jubilee year yeah. uh, to re, uh, to canceling of all debts because uh, it, it just it, it was you know uh, for, courts could now force people to pay, so they didn't need to do it. So what ended up happening in practical things was that loans mm. were made that people could never pay back, and by the time of Jesus's day, yeah. um, most people were in a sort of a set you know sort of Debt know, slaves? type of bondage. They yeah. were debt slaves. Similar to a debt slave. It was a little yeah. bit looser than that from what mm. I've read. And I don't yeah. really, you know, the yeah. details are sparse. But And so that's why he is Zacchaeus mm-hmm. and inspires Zacchaeus enough. Even though he didn't have to tell him, Zacchaeus says, mm-hmm. I need to give this stuff back. Yeah, and it makes exactly. Because right, mm-hmm. I've been around you, Jesus, and I know mm-hmm. this stuff is really starting to smell. Yep. Being around you and then smelling that, it's like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can go through, you can go through yeah. and look and see... You know, Jesus tells parables in 11, chapter 11, 16, other places, and they're aimed at the Pharisees, and it says, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, got angry, you know? And it always ties... It's like you've been thinking about this a little bit. Oh, yeah, it's huge, man. It's huge. You can... I think you could make a study of the Gospel of Luke as a um, a handbook for for economic... um, uh, like economic justice in the kingdom of the kingdom of God. Maybe we should all buy an inexpensive Gospel of Luke and mail it to Goldman Sachs headquarters. Just mail it to the lobby. Be there. sure to highlight chapter and high, three. Highline, put like yeah. dog ear, the different things, and just all mail them to them, let them. Well, the problem is, is will they be listening or will you be preaching until they can't hear, or are they already? Well, the question anyway? is, is if it gets in the news, yeah. you will say, well, a strange thing happening on Wall Street. Bible terrorism, all of these books of yeah. Luke, underlining economic passages mailed to the offices of Goldman Sachs. Well, one of the things, one of the other interesting things in this, you know. Maybe you and I need to go street preach outside of there. What would you say we do that? I'm cool with it. Let's we go, go there and just. We may get shot, though, quite frankly, because passages. all of those Goldman Sachs people uh, are, are obviously anti-gospel. Yeah. They're certainly anti-kingdom of God. You know, the kingdom of God is instituted and sort of yeah. projected in the Old Testament. You know, was all about economic equality and defending the fatherless how, and the widow. How could you get stuff. a permit? Even I mean, there's New York, and they have hard permitting for stuff like that, don't they? I, you know, I don't know, but I yeah. know that a lot of the uh, the Goldman Sachs people carry firearms. Yeah. To and from work, and I can't say yeah. that I blame them. You know, if I was yeah. in a you know, they can do is for, kill us. Yeah, if I was working for Satan, I'd probably do the same thing yeah, too. Yeah, that's true. You know, that's true. Um, well, you know, in Revelation, at the end, a big part of the judgment Revelation is about economic exploitation. You look at the mm-hmm. third seal, and about the scales in the hand of controlling people's food and mm-hmm. what it's worth, and the commod- the essential staples that they can get, mm-hmm. and how it's judged. And you see the great city Babylon, who was the main merchant bankers. Mm-hmm. The international bankers are what they're talking about there in that passage, mm-hmm. and they're judged for their sorcery mm-hmm. over the world. So yeah, there's a. It's interesting to see the interplay between all of that stuff and various pronouncements that are made on um, enemies of God's, you know, other divine beings that God are, yeah. uses enemies. You know, Ezekiel 38 or 28, 26 and 27, and then 28. Uh, it's King of Tyre. Isn't it? Yeah, the King yeah. of Tyre. Uh, it looks to me, and I'm not a I'm not an expert on this. It looks to me, but that that whole thing, we tend to cut it we cut it in half. But really, there's a commingling of 
as the as the poetry goes on and on, they're looking. He's looking yeah. through the. Um, um, he's he begins talking about the King of Tyre, the man, and then he's looking mm-hmm. through that King of Tyre to uh, to the actual power behind the throne yeah. more and more and more yeah. with the idea that. Uh, uh, the the power behind the throne is actually at some point going to lose his divinity. Yeah. Um, but that's, I mean, that's me reading probably more yeah. into the text that's there. See, I was out there just talking about the Michelin Man, um, King of Tyre. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the big <laughs> round guy. He looks like a staple yeah. of Marshmallow Man. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Um, at, at any rate, yeah, the, the Gospel yeah. of Luke, you can look at it as sort of a handbook of economic justice. Yeah, um, I'll go back and relook at it that way. Yeah, the key the key to that is always, of course, free will. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people tend to go the opposite direction, and they see it, and they they see it. Well, it's like, well, what we need to do is institute biblical communism, and I don't. Mm-hmm. That's not the right idea either, because you're removing the central. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus didn't set up any institutions to begin distributing the wealth. Mm-hmm. He went to each person's heart, and showed them yeah. that they need to redistribute their wealth. Yeah, to force people to do things. To force people to do things, you're removing the central filial of uh, God's attribute yeah. in man. You're just putting the power to a different person. Yeah. You're shifting it from one other person's control over people to another. Blame but. shifting, yo. Yeah. Hey, the show's getting away. You got another story you want to read? We're yeah, man. Getting on toward the latter. Yep. Here's a period a, here. Here's a uh, here's a great little article about carrier IQ. Uh, carrier IQ. What is carrier IQ? Carrier IQ sells rootkit software included in many U.S. handsets sold on Sprint, Verizon, and more. Devices supported include Android, Blackberries, Nokia, uh, tablet devices, and more. From CarrierIQ.com, Carrier IQ is the market leader in mobile service intelligence solutions that have revolutionized the way mobile mo- operators and device vendors gather and manage information from end users. Did you catch that? Mm-hmm. So they're... These are I was coming. Just reading about this. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Shoot. No, that's okay. no, no, no. Keep. No, 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 no. Keep reading. Recognizing the phone as an integral part of a mobile service delivery and using the device to measure key parameters of service quality and usage, the Carrier IQ solution gives you the unique ability to analyze in detail usage scenarios and fault conditions by type, location, application, and network performance, while providing you with a detailed insight into the mobile experience as delivered at the handset rather than simply the state of the network components carrying it. Explain that. That just sounds like a lot of crazy words. Uh, it is a lot of crazy words, but it is... Uh, what do you got to... What are you doing? Well, I just, just, I didn't want to distract you. I've just got a binder clip hanging from my goatee. Yeah. No, I do that's, that when I'm scary. thinking. That's, Was it distracting yeah, to you? Yeah. I, I don't know why that would be distracting. You remember Captain Lou Albano, the uh, wrestling manager? Put it on your ear, man. Oh, that was smart. <laughs> you know, Captain Lou used to tie the rubber bands in his in his little beard goatee like this. Oh, it was no, like I that. that. Basically, what they're saying Cindy is Cindy Lauper's uh, friend. Oh, who? Cindy Lauper. You know the bunny rabbit lady. You know, girls just want to have fun. I heard the, I remember the song. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she was like Madonna before there was Madonna. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um... Carrier IQ basically is a, like you said, it's a root kit that um, uh, takes takes details from the phone and how it's used and sends it back to the people. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're saying this is great news for the people who do phones, you know, for the uh, for for 
mobile phone service providers because they can analyze usage tendencies per customer. Um, so uh, what is Carrier? What does Carrier IQ do? Carrier IQ is able to query any metric from a device. A metric can be a dropped call because of lack of service. The scope of the word metric is very broad, though, including device types such as manufacturer and model, available memory and battery life, the type of applications resident on the device, the geographical location of device of the device, the end user's pressing of keys on the device, usage history of the device, including that those characterize a user's interaction with the device. Carrier IQ software, which consists of embedded software on mobile devices and server-side analytics applications, enable mobile users and device OEMs to understand in detail a wide range of performance and usage characteristics of mobile service and services devices. Translation, we're stealing your info. Be cool with it. Without a warrant. It's for your good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're getting acclimated to this information, sadly. Yeah. You know. Mm -hmm. We're just sort of accepting, like, yeah, they do it, yeah. Yep. Gathering information from the training videos. This guy got the training videos from Carrier IQ. Mm -hmm. um, we see everything is broken down into two categories, metrics and triggers. Metrics appears to be what data to log send when a trigger is encountered. From the functions we have, uh, we have found already on our devices, we know the list is, was big, but even the below list only begins to scratch the surface. And uh, he's got some screenshots here that show like many thousands of, mm -hmm. you know, um, of uh, you know, spreadsheet entries. Triggers appear to be when to collect metrics. For example, when a user installs or opens an app, any given metric can be called getting information. Uh, when a user browses a web HTTP header, information can be grabbed along with the detailed information on the page. Or Carrier IQ can log key presses made on what web page. Um, when location is changed, the phone can report in. When a call is placed or data is started, any metrics can be queried. There is a lot more. These are just what is shown in public documents. Um, so he goes on and he lists all of the stuff, Carrier IQ. Um, and so basically the... so. Uh, man, he goes on. This is a really detailed breakdown, but basically the whole thing is a carrier IQ is a rootkit. Um, mm. And a rootkit is software that enables continued privileged access to a computer, uh, which most smartphones are, uh, while actively hiding its presence from the administrators by subverting standard operating system functionality or other applications. The term rootkit is a uh, con concatenation uh, of root, the traditional name of the privileged account on, on Unix operating systems, and the world kit, which refers to the software components that implement the tool. Uh, Carrier IQ, as seen in real-world usage, is nothing like the stock copies shown on the first page. All menus have been stripped, hiding it from the user's presence without advanced knowledge. The service also runs as user rootkit in RAMdisk. Uh, it checks into a service with commands to allow someone undetected access to your phone. Uh, who is using this data? Well, Verizon will be one. Uh, consumer information it collects 
mobile uh, information it collects. Sprint is another. Um, and they don't have, they don't tell you about this. And there are a few advanced methods you can use to detect carrier IQ. But the only way you can remove carrier IQ is if you really, really know what you're doing. And it, it does chew, it does void the warranty. What if I don't have an iPhone? Well, it actually, it doesn't go on the iPhone. Or, or I. Yeah. Computerized phone. What if I just have numbers that call on cell phone? Well, I'm just gonna, I'm going back to like a, like a rotary phone. A rotary cell phone? Yeah, just like I think the. That'd be a good idea. Yeah. Multi-party line even. Yep. By the way, we, we had one growing up. Really? Like a party line. Yeah. yeah. Where you could pick up your phone and somebody else would be on there using it. Yeah. Just hmm. one little wall phone mounted on the wall. That was what we had in our house. Wow. Yeah. That's. We liked it that way. Yeah. Hang up and listen to what people were saying. Well, are you finny? Yeah, that's that that's it. Basically, a recap uh, is uh, <laughs> the phone companies are listening in on your calls. They haven't bothered to tell you about it, and nobody seems to care. Yeah. And, yeah, you don't even have to be important. Yep. Well, I'm going to go through this really quick because we've got some, a couple emails, and we'll call it a show. I'm going to hit a couple of these off the top. Uh, since we're having a debate tonight at the time of our recording this on November 22nd, uh, Newt Gingrich has had, he's been the, uh, the candidate du jour to have his rise to the top lately and mm-hmm. all the Christians who were telling me that they loved McCain, Herman Cain and now tell me how great he is. And the TV told them that he was really smart and so now they've accepted that he's smart. Um, here's hmm. uh, 27 reasons Newt Gingrich would be a really bad president. Well, okay. Drudge, Drudge says, is this Paul's time to rise? That's their headline. Now. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll see. They're having a foreign policy debate tonight, and you and I are in the dark, unlike our listeners when they're listening to this. We won't know how it came out. Um, uh, let me just a, f- a few things about uh, uh, Newt Gingrich. Number one, 2008, Newt Gingrich did a television commercial with Nancy Pelosi in which he stated they both agree our country must take action to address climate change. Um, number two, Newt Gingrich worked with Nancy Pelosi to promote the idea of a national sales tax on energy. Uh, number three, in a 2007 interview with PBS, Gingrich endorsed the idea of cap-and-trade scheme to limit carbon emissions. Um, he says, frankly, it's something I would strongly support. He says, number four, during this campaign, Newt Gingrich loudly denounced Obamacare, but in 2008 he wrote a book entitled Real Change, in which he endorsed an individual mandate for health insurance. Um, Number five. In fact, earlier this year, Newt Gingrich stated during an interview on NBC Meet the Press that he still believes in an individual mandate on health insurance. Hmm. And uh, the the whole thing has a... uh, uh, It it actually has a transcript here that talks about him telling... uh, uh, Mr. Gregory there on, on the, that, that he's a believer in it. Uh, number six, Newt Gingrich has made very curious statements about Obamacare. Uh, he said about the Obamacare law, he says, now there's about 300 pages of it that are pretty good. Um, I'm going to skip down here. Um, number nine, in 2008, Newt Gingrich stated that he would have voted for the TARP bailout if he was still a member of Congress. This includes the bankers, Who is right? This? Newt Gingrich. Newt Gingrich. Yeah, Gingrich vote for the that. TARP bailout. Yeah. Um, 
2003, Newt Gingrich promoted George Bush's prescription drug bill. Uh, and because of it, the federal government is facing an additional $17 trillion of unfunded liabilities. Uh, number 11, Newt Gingrich is a big-time Washington insider that has often been paid huge sums of money for doing next to nothing. Gingrich said that he was paid 300000 for work he did for Freddie Mac, but according to Bloomberg, he actually earned somewhere between $1.6 million $1.8 between 1999 and 2008. So what did he do for Freddie Mac? Gingrich claimed he warned Freddie Mac about the housing bubble, but the report by Bloomberg disputes this. <laughs> None of the former Freddie Mac officials who spoke on a condition of anonymity said Gingrich raised the issue of the housing bubble or was critical of Freddie Mac's business model. It turns out that much of the work that Gingrich was expected to do never got done. For Freddie Mac, he got $1.6 million, $1.8 It's a little different world than you and I operate in. Yeah. Uh, former Freddie Mac officials familiar to his work in 2006 saying Gingrich was asked to build bridges to Capitol Hill Republicans, basically kissing up to them to support mm-hmm. their financial, develop an argument on behalf of the company's public-private structure that would resonate with conservatives seeking to dismantle it. He's working against us. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was expected to provide written material that would circulate amongst free markets conservatives in Congress. Um he didn't produce a white paper or any other document the firm could use on his behalf. Although he got paid $1.6, $1.8 million, didn't have a deliverable, as we say in the defense world. Number 12, Newt Gingrich has had a very cozy relationship with the ethanol industry. Um, according to a New American article, uh, he has been paid, his consulting business has paid $300,000 in fees from the ethanol lobby after he left Congress. Um, uh, it says, uh, uh, number 13, Newt Gingrich is a firm believer in the job-killing free trade agenda of the globalist. Newt Gingrich voted for NAFTA and is a staunch supporter of the World Trade Organization. Um, he says, what we're being told is that free trade with Mexico would devastate the U.S. economy with its low wages Mexico would unleash a flood of chief imports in our markets and a mass exodus of U.S. factory jobs as hordes of American countries fled across the border. He said all of this is scare talk. Duke Gingrich is pro-amnesty for illegal aliens. Um, he has made numerous occasions where he advocated the pathway to citizenship. Um, in '95, Gingrich promoted the idea that the War Powers Act should be repealed. And I think that's the one where they have to get Congress to pronounce war, right? Yeah. Or am I wrong on that? Uh, number 16, Gingrich is confused when it comes to abortion. Here's some of his statements. He says, I believe most Americans are pro-choice and anti-abortion. Um, yeah. He says, I think abortion should not be legal, and I think how you should implement that, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's good that uh, he's got it planned out. <laughs> yeah, he's got He's a leader. <laughs> number 17, the following... Uh, Let's see. Well, let me let me just skip this. 18. Newt Gingrich supported the Violent Crime Control Law Enforcement Act of 1994 that put a significant number of new restrictions on gun owners. 19. Several of the Republican candidates are suggesting that the Department of Education be shut down. Well, Ron Paul, the mm-hmm. Department of Education. Uh, Rick Perry might, but he can't remember the names of them. He's um, well, you know, drinking affects your memory. But but in 79, Newt Gingrich. <laughs> yeah, that's a- Hey, somebody turn on the lights out, too, bruh. 
Is that your Rick Perry? In 79, Newt Gingrich voted for the creation of the Department of Education. So he voted to make the Department of Education. Um, Newt Gingrich says that we should have Singapore-style drug tests for Americans. Sweet. Um, According to Politico, Gingrich once owed a debt to Tiffany Jewelry. And I remember this story. That was somewhere between two hundred fifty and $500,000 to Tiffany Jewelry. Mm-hmm. Uh, Political tried to find out if the debt was still active, but Gingrich was not willing to talk about it. And when they asked him later if he had settled the debt and why he owed that kind of money to a jeweler, uh, he declined to comment. Uh, it says, how much trust can we put in Newt to run America when he can't run his own campaign? A few months ago, the senior staff resigned in mass. Um, uh, it says that uh, the Gingrich campaign was a million dollars in debt. Dude Gingrich was once fined $300,000 by the House Ethics Committee. An article in Esquire detailed why he received such a large fine. His bitterness only deepened when the House Ethics Committee started investigating GoPak's donations to his college class and caught him trying to hide his tracks by raising money through a charity for inner-city kids called the Abraham Lincoln Opportunity Foundation. It's money for him. Nice. He's running it through a charity. Nice. Another charity, charity of his called Earning by Learning actually spent half of its money supporting a former Gingrich staffer who was writing his biography. He even gave out the 800 number for videotapes on the House floor. The Ethics Committee found him guilty of laundering donations through charities, submitting inaccurate, incomplete, and unreliable testimony, and making an effort to have the material appear to be nonpartisan on its face. Yet serve a partisan political message. Uh, seven years after he destroyed Jim Wright for a lesser offense, the committee punished Gingrich with the highest fine ever imposed on a Speaker of the House, $300,000. Uh, Gingrich has been a member of the Council on Foreign Relations since 1990. Um, and you, you're familiar with the, with, with the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, yep. The establishment not only does it have influence and power in key decision-making positions, highest level of government, but it finances and uses individuals and groups to bring pressure from below. Um, Just wrapping up here. Newt Gingrich has been spotted attending meetings at Bohemian Grove. Sweet. Um, I wonder if all those evangelical voters that Newt is courting would think if they learned of the pagan rituals and mock child sacrifices that take place there every year. Uh, Many Republican voters are deeply troubled by the fact that Newt Gingrich has actually cheated on two different wives and is now married to a third wife. The following is a recent CBS News article about it. This is when he was a Speaker of the House. Gingrich had an affair with Callista Bicek, then a young committee staff aide, while married to his second wife, Marianne Gingrich. He divorced Marianne in 1999. Eighteen years later, he proposed to Marianne while he was still married to his first wife, Jackie Batley, who was said that Gingrich told her he wanted a divorce while she was in the hospital recovering from cancer surgery. Nice. It's a classy guy. That's class. Uh, when his second wife asked him how he could give speeches on family values while he was cheating on her, okay, he, she confronted him about it, Gingrich is reported to said the following. It doesn't matter what I do, he answered. People need to hear what I have to say. So, uh, personal morality. Newt Gingrich is everyone's key. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Christians are getting behind him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Flighty trip. That's his. Those are some of his great merits. He has. You want to close with a couple emails and we'll call today. Roll them. 
This is from uh, Sister Mary, Futurian Mary. Mm-hmm. Okay. Futurian Mary. She says... A uh, little bit scary. She's not scary. She says, I enjoyed each and every show. I don't listen on radio, but would love to see the show in syndication. Most importantly, the witty batter of Tom and Mike is very entertaining, as well as knowledgeable on a wide variety of topics. I have listened to every one of your archive shows. Yes. We should have like a special like $10,000 mm-hmm. gift to every person who's done that. Yeah. Um, if anybody would like to donate that money for that pot, yeah. just please. Um, we'll send them a... We'll send them a pickle. And each and every one was jam-packed with plenty of researchable information. In fact, so many of your shows are so outstanding that it's hard to pinpoint any guest or subject as being more valuable to listen to than another. Kudos and blessing to you both for helping me and my family stay on the narrow path of Christ. Sweetness. That's really nice. And She has a little follow-up here. She says, um, I just had to say bravo again for an excellent show. Nothing but truth from you two. Thank you so much. Just remember that the closer we get to the cross, the more folks want to see you crucified. It is a shame so many Christians remain deceived about the Jewish Semite thing. I know our Father is very patient with all people, so I must be also. It is difficult. I very much appreciate all the time and effort you both put into the show and emails. Please be encouraged that your words are falling on good soil. Here is a praise report. Almost a year ago, I asked you to pray for my daughter and her husband. I'm happy to say that everything is fine now. Um, so it just elaborates from there. Uh, the battle never gets easier, only gets different. You know what that's like, Tom, don't you? Mm-hmm. Praise God for all blessings for flow. And it actually, has Chris goes by Chris normally. But uh, thank you so much, sister. Appreciate that very, very much. And we only have time for one more, and we're going to call it a day. And this is this is from uh, another Mary. This is, this is another Mary we've talked to. And here's what Mary has to say. Okay. She says, um, uh, There's an interesting documentary that I've not had the chance to see yet called With God on Our Side about the Christian Zionist movement. It's withgodonourside.com. I would love to see all people of all nations to come to know Jesus Christ. And I, too, have an interest in end-time prophecy and a desire to learn more. So when my friend told me about the free conference being held on end times by Jan Markell and other supporters, and that many members of her church were going, I looked into it. When I looked her up, I was disheartened to see that a lot of her rhetoric regards painting the Arabs as an ancient enemy, and that so many people were flocking to see her. This worries me because I know a lot of Christians are ignorant about the realities of the situation. And having someone of this authority and influence only seems to brainwash them more and more to create more hate and division. Hmm. Isn't it nice to see people get this? Well, Judge Andrew Napolitano just put on his Facebook page, uh, Paul says, The Patriot Act is unpatriotic, Gingrich said, but Timothy McVeigh killed a lot of people. And Santorum follows with, We need to profile Muslims. And then Paul retorts to both of them, What if they look like Timothy McVeigh? <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you think about this letter? Uh, it's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just want to, I you know, breaking it up like I always do. Okay. Uh, uh, she says, being half Arab, I feel that this kind of language it divides, not unites, and creates the exact hate they speak of. I have found through my trips to the Middle East that though respecting the language and culture, many people are very hospitable. Mm-hmm. And even curious to hear what you have to say regarding Jesus Christ. 
That hmm. is exactly true. Yeah. No Arab that I know hates the Jews because of an ancient hatred or because of the, who they are, but rather the ones that are angry are angry for what they do. And many have told me that they sincerely desire to live in peace side by side. And frankly, after seeing the suffering endured, I am surprised but very happy they feel this way. I grew tired of hearing that suffering was okay because Israel was given a divine uh, to do whatever necessary to keep their land. I have heard Jewish Tell me about it. I have heard Jewish professors at the university stand up and speak in Middle Eastern classes and say their government's number one concern is that the Palestinians will outnumber the Israelis at the rate they're having children, and they can't have enough Jews come to Israel. So right now, the government's biggest concern is that the minority will, will not become a majority in the Zionist state. It kind of makes you wonder what the Israeli government is up to when they come out with a new ethnic bomb. But that is a virus that targets Arabs a certain type of DNA. I've heard that is mainly found in the genetic makeup of Iraqis. And that's been in the news, that thing. I think conjuring up a war of civilizations or races or ethnicities was never part of God's plan. Amen. For our God is a loving God who seeks to have all nations come to him. Anyway, I want just to say that I appreciate your work and research. I, too, was naive to the ways of the world and voted for Bush before 911, and it seems that only recently the light bulb went off. I think your work is not only interesting, but essential and something every Christian should listen to, lest we become the cause of our own downfall. I also found your speech on sorcery and drugs very interesting, being in a medical field. I would just like to say thank you for your work and keep up the good work and look forward to seeing a book come out. May all people come to know love and light to Jesus. New Iowa poll places Ron Paul firmly in first place. We'll see. We'll see what they manipulate, you know, who's controlling that stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, Mary had a little follow-up. Let, let me just sort of close here yep. with a little something she said. She said, um, I have been to Syria and Lebanon and spoken to both Shiite and Sunni Muslims. And like I said, all of them I've talked to just want to live in peace. In fact, when the borders were back open in the 70s, my uncle used to go to Israel for vacations. Going back to the Jewish question, if it is a matter of blood, let's face it, throughout all these generations, humans have intermarried and traveled so much that it's nearly impossible to say who has Jewish blood and who doesn't. Even with DNA tests they've done, they've showed differences between the various Jewish groups and similarities with many Middle Eastern people. When the nation of Israel was founded, 90% were European Jews or Ashkenazi, and in fact, I think that the government and media has been dominated by this particular group even though at one point in history they only accounted for 3% three, 3 of the Jewish population. And for a long time, and even till today, there has been a discrimination of other Jewish groups, such as Ethiopians and Mizrahi groups. Mm -hmm. Today in Egypt, there are about 30,000 men married to Jewish women. And so just to say that there have been so much travel and intermarriage that probably today almost anybody could have Jewish ancestry from some point in history. Many of them have converted religions and intermarried. Just food for thought. But I agree we are children and sons of God through a new covenant, and so that should not matter. I will look forward to your book coming out. Thanks, Mary. And, um, Mary, thank you for that. What you're saying as a message is that we should get off looking at our races and ethnicities and realize we're all children of God, or we can be. We've been offered. And, and Jesus still says, he says, If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. He does not screen test out your background, ethnicity, or whatever. Man. He'll draw all of them unto you. Yeah, I just had somebody send me a bunch of stuff about how uh, Jews were different than Gentiles. Gentiles didn't have to live under the law if they so chose. But Jews who came to, came to the Messiah did. Yeah. And I was like, well, what about, what about Galatians chapter 3? 
And they're like, mm-hmm. well, what about it? Now there is no Jew nor Greek, mm-hmm. you know, slave nor the, free. All the, are one in Christ Jesus. And even like, the chapter before that, didn't he take the written code and nail it to the cross? Yep. But, you know, it's just Paul. We don't know about that guy. Well, you That's know what, usually what it comes down to. Well, we're not really sure about Paul. You know what Peter said, but Peter himself, you know, Jew in good standing, he said at the council, he says, why should we want to put on their backs something that we couldn't even do ourselves, you know? Yeah. So we've been liberated from the taskmaster, from the schoolmaster that taught us that we're all sinners. And, you know, the law was good in that aspect. It it helped us to be able to appreciate Christ and mm-hmm. what he did for us. So somebody else I appreciate is Merv, who can come and tell you how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, um, we got to go. It's late. Any last words for our listeners? I'm going home, going to bed. Are you? Yep. That's just traumatic being around me that long. Is that what no. it is? I, although they'll notice that I didn't yawn once. No. No, I, I think I sneezed a few times, but that was that was pretty much it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for hanging out with us. We know we're pretty boring guys and not not the most polished guys you'll ever find to a show like this. But just know that we love Jesus. We don't have yeah. all the answers, but we're looking for answers, and we want to love people in the meantime. We know Jesus tells us to do that. We don't debate that. And we want to encourage you to do the same, hoping that you all, uh, that you've gotten this, have had a wonderful Thanksgiving and hopefully a chance to minister to your family or loved ones that you're around. But come back next week. We've got a very, very interesting, very future quakeish interview next week. But until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. पहचान हो जीना आसान हो जान पहचान हो जीना आसान हो जान हो जीना आसान हो